for Type 40, your Doctor Who podcast from the Spacebook for the Fandom Podcast Network, with me, Dan Hadley, Birmingham's King of the Geeks, and your designated driver, materialising again here with unbeatable Doctor Who conversation on our free-speaking, big-thinking show for everyone, whatever decade or century you started watching, reading, or listening along to those timeless adventures of our hero Doctor Who. We talk about it all on this show and who knows there could even be a, a laugh or two along the way. It's Doctor Who's 60th anniversary year. Come and step into our TARDIS here on Type 40. Yeah, here we are again, raring to go. How's it going with you? Yeah. Yeah, me too. But the same as always. Never fear, Type 40s. Type 40s here to talk all things time and space. Just keep your ears and eyes open for the next however long. All part of our season of Diamond Reviews for Doctor Who's 60th anniversary, of course. And returning to the 21st century, this time it seems only right that I'd be joined by our very own English Rose and our doctor on call, that's Sarah Graham and Stephen Noonan back with me on the show. Hello, both. Hello. Which one's the English Rose? <laughs> well, I think that's me. The, the lighting yeah, seems to be uh, making me glow here. No, it's, it's uh, Just come back from holiday, I believe. I have, yes. Yeah. Very, very sun-kissed, yes. If, if lots of planets do have a north, do you think that they're getting better weather at the very least, Sarah, a bit? Yeah, judging by uh, my holiday. Do lots of planets have a Birmingham? That's that's the question I want to that's know. Yeah. <laughs> Why has there never been a Brummy Doctor Who, for God's sake? Stephen, we have loads of Scousers. I couldn't agree more. You're speaking my language. Look, if, if lots of planets don't have a Birmingham, quite frankly, I don't want to live in a universe that doesn't have a lot no, of Birminghams. No, no. Oh, it, right. We're asking the difficult questions already, Stephen. How have you been the last few weeks since we last spoke? Oh. I think it was Doctor Who podcast day we last spoke. That was, that was when we last spoke, and God knows when we actually recorded that. But, um, heaven knows. But, uh, heaven knows. Very busy, and very busy on a very, very exciting top-secret project. <laughs> um, which which is very very exciting indeed, uh, for various reasons that mm. I will be murdered if I mentioned what they are. We but, can't um, have that, can we? We wouldn't but, want any uh, but, blood on our um, hands. No, very busy and very excited, but very excited to mm. be talking for the first time with you people about the twenty first century incarnation of Doctor Who, as exciting in its way as the classic series that I grew up with. If not more so in some ways, you know. Ooh, yes. intriguing. It is weird, yeah. isn't it, Stephen? This production is nearly two deca decades old, mm -hmm. and yet we still largely, as a community, as a fandom, and as uh, as professionals as well, I think, most people still refer to it as New Who, don't they? It's, it's weird. And it's yet, you know, uh, as old, re relatively speaking, from now to when it started, 2005, how many years is that? 18 years. 18 years. 18 years. You know, I remember season 18 of Doctor Who, you know, which is Tom Baker's last, last season. Only vaguely. Well, it seems like, you know, the Middle Ages when, when Doctor <laughs> Who actually started. The, the, the flickering black and white images of an unearthly child. All the, all the scratchy footage that we were, had, had sort of, you know, access to them before they, they vid-fired everything. Looked like it'd been made hundreds of well, years ago. I suppose. It? I suppose as well. If you think about it, TV between, say, 
the early 70s and certainly the mid 70s and the mid 90s mid to late 90s didn't really change that much it was even all still still in 4-3 wasn't it widescreen Mm -hmm. tvs didn't come in until sort of 98 99 ish Mm -hmm. the time in in between since then and now things have changed at such a faster rate i feel Mm. not just what we watch but how we watch it yeah yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. Before mobile phones and computers and all the rest of it, it's, it's just a completely, completely different world. Time passes slower, doesn't it, when you're younger? And I think, well, maybe I'm yeah. caught up in that, in that sort of quantum nexus, whatever you, whatever you could describe it as. But Sarah, this is sort of where you came in, isn't it? I mean, I know it's, it's impolite, isn't it, to talk about a lady's age? <laughs> you were more, you were younger, more impressionable then weren't you but but are you a nostalgist by nature because obviously we've got several years on you but do you find that as you get a little bit older that you're looking back and reminiscing oh yeah yeah i watched this series with my little nephew and you know now he's 24 and you know got his own life and yeah it's uh it's very it's very strange and then and it, it is a kind of weird moment because technology, it has moved on, but in, I've kind of had best of both worlds because I've always had Doctor Who in like, on a big TV, maybe not quite as big as what we have now, but beginning, you know, it wasn't a porky little TV with only five buttons and what have you. We had the yeah. big TV, the big widescreen, and then obviously during RTD Zero, we, you know, we went into HD. Um, so it's always been a kind of a different viewing experience for me than it, you know, compared to you two. Yeah. Oh, this is a hell of a hell of a rabbit hole we're diving down already, <laughs> everyone. But yeah, back to uh, to 2000, 2005, everybody this time. Uh, and Doctor Who was born again in the form of very well respected deadly serious, deadly northern actor Christopher Eccleston as the ninth Doctor. Now, when Christopher Eccleston was announced as the man who'd lead this this revival of Doctor Who, that was in the April of 2004, it seemed very left field. If not a gamble, it was certainly a surprise. And the bookies, those infamous bookies, they'd been way off base with their in inverted commas, their favourite safe money had been on characters like Alan Davies, Eddie Izzard, Bill Nighy. For certain types of people who were very outwardly, if not if not eccentric, certainly very sort of doctor-ish, they'd either got the hair, the wardrobe, mm. or the attitude, or a mixture of two or three mm. of the above, really. For better or worse, Doctor Who's destiny was eventually in the hands of the 40-year-old actor who'd worked with, with Russell T. Davies before, of course. He'd also been off to Hollywood and roared around with Nick Cage in uh, Gone in 60 Seconds. I've still not seen that movie. <laughs> he got spooky with Nicole Kidman in The Others and worked uh, with Danny Boyle and Jimmy McGovern several times, two of the 90s most important writers and directors. One can see, though, now how an actor like Christopher Eccleston, Sarah, he may have reached the mid-noughties and felt like he needed a fresh challenge. And by his own admission, the Doctor was unlike any character that he'd ever played. Had you ever seen this actor before when when you started watching Doctor Who? Yeah, um, yeah, I'd seen him in Gone in 60 Seconds. It's really good film. I mean, I, I had to suffer through uh, his performance of Jude 
college. <laughs> is, oh, God, it's depressing. Very good. That's um, the movie he made with Kate Winslet, isn't yeah, it? From the, the from nine Thomas, Thomas Hardy novel. Yeah. yeah. Isn't David Tennant in that with him? They're in the same scene, aren't yes. they? I'd forgotten about that. I'd, I'd seen him in the, the Second Coming. And yeah, I'm a really good actor. You know, a, a big name, big uh, respected actor. Um, but obviously, I, I'd not really had any real thoughts because at this point, Doctor Who was really far removed. And, you know, I know the, you know, the most I knew was probably Tom Baker being in little britain I'm like oh he was dr who once he had the scarf and the jelly babies and that's about kind of all i knew apart from the paul mcgann movie which obviously was a few years back so it wasn't really something i was particularly thinking about until it was advertised i remember an interview with him where he was talking about filming and he was saying about the first day he had to chase a pig in a space so i thought wow this sounds really literally wild yeah yeah, this sounds interesting i'm probably more interested in billy piper to be quite honest because i'd got poster over on my wall and i'd got all of his cd so that's kind of oh really you're a fan you're a billy piper fan. i was a billy fan yeah i knew all the dance i i hadn't got any of her cds stephen but i did have her calendar up in the toilet i don't (laughs) want to tell you He always raises the tone. They do, yeah. It could be said, Stephen, that Chris Eccleston taking the role of the Doctor, you know, that could be a bit of a gamble. Not only had the show been off for such a long period of time, and it it still had a kind of stigma attached to it. You know, the papers were getting behind Paul Daniels to play this role, for heaven's sake. So there was that. that (laughs) So there was that. With the lovely Debbie as his as his companion. That would have been fantastic. That would have sold it for me. (laughs) <laughs> if she'd have done it in hot pants obviously um but the uh <laughs> yeah but uh, oh god we've got i bring jude he um, brings hot pants and color it's for everybody isn't it yeah. Everybody. yeah i'd like to think so mate it's i'd like to think tight. so yeah, but what i was trying to what i was trying to get around to in my sort of clumsy way was the fact that christopher eccleston at this point in his career he was he was doing something i wouldn't call it a handbrake turn but it's it's very different isn't it to playing a psycho in shallow grave which i feel he, he stole that film from hugh mcgregor who's so intense so from doing that to playing the the hero in a family adventure serial on a saturday evening uh, how, how do you feel about that not just as an actor but as a, as a viewer were you surprised when chris eccleston was cast because the papers really were weren't they i suppose so the whole business of the of the show coming back was a very sort of ambivalent making experience at the time which i suppose that? because i got used to the wilderness years it had become inconceivable through the 90s that it would ever come back and that if it did come back they'd probably make a hash of it i wasn't one of the handful of people who were hugely impressed by the by the McGann film at the time. <laughs> it just seemed, oh, you know, they're just going to bring it back and it's just going to be a recipe for being irritated, disappointed mm. and ridiculed all over again for being associated. <laughs> so another indignity, like, Stephen, another indignity. Why do they uh, keep doing it to this old he, show? Heaping, <laughs> heaping indignity upon indignity, you know. And so it was, it it become quite cosy in the 90s to have your collection of VHSs to know could... that there was a beginning and an end and that was that it was yeah. and, and and it was and it was there and it was in the past and nobody could you know do it any more damage <laughs> and so then the news started to come through but and then and then it was oh you know Russell T Davis 
who was mm-hmm. about as as tasty a sort of a a TV practitioner as as there was at the time, wasn't wasn't he? You mm. know, um, cool and hot and all those words, all those uh, contradictory words. And then the names started trickling through, and, and and no name that came up. And then I I started to think it's a really difficult part to cast this, isn't it? And Tom Baker, Tom Baker used to say, you know, nobody's ever been miscast as Doctor Who. Well, that was when he was Doctor Who, and there were only three before him. And so names coming through, and that Richard E. Grant was named a lot, as you said, Bill Nye was named a lot, and and I just sort of couldn't get my head around any of the names. When it started, when it actually was on, and and Eccleston was doing it, I was working with David Warner at the time, and he was talking about how you know he talked to them about doing it, and how much he would have liked to have done it. And I remember thinking, well, he'd be great if you were thinking about how it was done in the classic era mm-hmm. to cast a really strange older man because peter davison has often said that david warner in many respects would have made the perfect the ultimate doctor who hasn't mm-hmm. he and he's not alone in thinking that you can but, see that just as you describe but as i was talking about um last time when you were on on, on the podcast day one about the canniness of davis and obviously all those other people, Jane Tranter and Lorraine Hegesy and Mal Young, this sort of cabal of 21st century, you know, TV supremos who are absolutely Mm. determined to make this damn thing work. Can we redo that hook on an early Saturday evening? And, And we've got to remember, you know, looking at the documentation about this and the vetoes, the things that were absolutely verboten we do not have some twonk dressed in Victorian clothes, mm-hmm. you know, with, with, with the eye candy dolly bird. We've got to place the companion center stage and get that, all those demographics of, of, of younger people and, and women, for God's sake, mm-hmm. um, and anything to stop people turning over to what, what was on the other side? Anton Deck, wasn't it, I think, on ITV. Mm-hmm. Anton Deck. And so when the, name, when the name Eccleston arrived, I thought, that's genius for me personally well i just want them to to go on making pyramids of mars and talons of wing Kang for the rest <laughs> yeah, of the time yeah. you know i want the yeah. doctor to be a middle-aged you know bloke with a posh voice <laughs> Very yeah. tom baker basically yeah in his early in the, in the hinchcliffe years and 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 a, and a sort of permutations on the mm. um on the uh, robert holmes gothic horror thing but that's not gonna that wasn't gonna win over the audience not in 2005 so you yeah. get the actor more than any other actor associated with with gritty drama i knew him from let him have it which was a a, a, a film about the bentley and craig case and a series that my father had had just thought was fantastic it was a jimmy mcgovern series in 1990 called hearts and minds about where where he played a character called Drew, Drew McKenzie, who was doing a very good Liverpool accent as a as a sort of a a, a, convic- a conviction minded uh, teacher who goes into an inner city school. Electric performance, and so thinking about that and thinking, oh yeah, if you're if you're going to try and make this character relevant to, to a modern audience, you probably couldn't do better than an actor like Christopher Eccleston, who has working class, you know social drama printed through him like a stick of rock 
you know this is this is gonna gonna go make people go oh, and make all those you know old supremos of the bbc all, all the ones who who, who cancelled it or whatever mm. sit and sit up and take notice yeah and the audience take notice i think he talked about the he liked the idea of getting involved in children's dramas or something, or something that was yeah. something that wasn't you know hard-hitting social acting, realism. he liked the idea of acting for children yeah. specifically for children not families specifically for children i think we've spoken a little bit before i mean certainly you and i have sarah and i think you i think we have too Stephen, privately about this sort of mystique we as the audience put around actors i think it was there obviously before before social media and mm -hmm. before tabloid newspapers uh, you know, i'm thinking right the way back to to proper old hollywood in the 50s where the screen idols that expression screen idols mm -hmm. there's this mystique around them and around around the craft of acting which is has absolutely sort of diluted a little now but with a, a, a person like christopher eccleston his choices were always i wouldn't say they were they were particularly all over the map I, I hope he wouldn't think this uh, this is a great disservice but uh, to the the person sat on the sofa there was a chris eccleston part he's usually yeah. northern very very serious and he, a certain kind of part that you'd always find him in and he'd always be magnificent in them he would inhabit the part so entirely but to the extent that afterwards his name wouldn't necessarily sarah it wouldn't stay with one and i'm not sure yeah. whether somebody who's a craftsman working in that field whether he would think no that's right because i want you to remember the character not mm. to latch on to my star quality that surely means he's successful w wouldn't it i would have said so i think he picked his parts seriously he wouldn't just take anything he was always got that sense of pride and that's why he tended towards certain uh, projects. Well, there's um, there's two things. Well, that's Cracker, isn't it? And two, and and our yeah. friends in the north. Our friend in the north was was ninety five, I think. That's right. It was probably just after that Hearts and Minds thing. Was the Cracker before that? Was that ninety four? Cracker, like cracker that? was ninety two, ninety three. Was got it that cracker early? in the yeah. wake of the success of Let Him Have Let It? Him he have was it. still a very yeah. young actor to be play to be playing uh, Detective Inspector David Bilber in that. He was he was uh, Cracker's superior, and that was where I first saw him. First took took notice of him. But Alan Bleasdale, Jimmy McGovern, these writers, they have peers, but I don't think they necessarily have any betters. No. I would put I would put Russell T. Davis probably in that bracket now. And maybe maybe Alan Bennett and, and people like that, the tried and sort of tested names from decades before. But these writers, they're the ones who are riding the crest of a wave, weren't they, in the nineties? And anybody who got into their productions eyes on them it, it wouldn't say it necessarily made them stars and guaranteed them longevity but enabled them to show pretty pretty great range Stephen is that fair oh yeah absolutely uh, and Eccleston was inspired to be an actor by watching Boys in the Black stuff as a kid the defining early 80s left-wing social realist hmm. comedy drama it was it had it had sort of uh, uh, a comedic element elements in it but it was but it was hard hitting and it was and uh got and everybody was... talking didn't it i mean i was i was very you remember very it at the time. i was very very young i mean the only reason that i knew about it is because of that character who go around headbutting everybody yaza hughes yeah. all the kids at my primary school and nursery started headbutting one another yeah. so, <laughs> i'm not sure how they found out about it because it was on about nine or ten o'clock i think the parents i think it captured something it entered the popular lexicon 
I suppose. And, and you can see why somebody like Chris Eccleston was stimulated by it. I mean, he was born in, in 1963, in February, in yeah. Salford, Lancashire. And he'd been the head boy at his school, but he'd found acting quite suddenly in his late teens. And just as you say, Stephen, it was watching things like that on the television, populist but hard-hitting stuff that switched him on and made him think, oh, yeah, this is something that somebody like me could do. And he found his way through drama school and uh, worked in classical theatre for a time, which seems strange when you think about the things that stimulated him. He did end up playing in a lot of, of classical productions but he would drift in between day jobs as well Sarah so he worked in supermarkets he worked on the building sites just like Tom did and for a while he was a, a nude model for, uh, for artists so he'd done quite a lot before that breakout year in 91 I think he, he did an episode of Inspector Morse which I still haven't seen well, Troughton was in that as well, wasn't yeah. he? A couple of years before. There he was, was in Inspector Morse. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the, the same year that he got Let Him Have It. And it, it sort of went went from there. I wouldn't say it went stellar, but you can see the choices that he mm -hmm. made. They were very much... There was a very much a through line through them. Like I say, he wasn't all over the map, but Chris Eccleston had, had arrived. And um, he was an actor, as I say, when I saw him in, in Cracker. And it was partly because of that very visceral, uh, heart-rending death, Stephen. But that really stayed with me. You know, I was in my teens when that broadcast, and I thought, God, this this guy, this actor, I've never seen him before, but I hope I see him in more things. I think Shallow Grave was the next thing I, I saw so him in. So when you heard that he was cast as the Doctor, how did you feel about mm. the cast? That's the, spe the specificity of the casting as Doctor Who. Complete, that's the irony of it. Despite the fact that he'd moved me, he'd moved me to tears in in Cracker, yeah. and he terrified me in Shallow Grave. I was completely and utterly nonplussed about Chris Eccleston being cast as a doctor. I just couldn't see it. I had no idea why they'd gone for him. I read about this on the BBC News website. Shows how times change. And I didn't see it on Blue Peter or on the news. I didn't read it in DWM or anything like that. I read it on the BBC's own website there. Shallow Grave actor Christopher Eccleston has been named as the new Doctor Who to front the cult BBC sci-fi show when it returns next year. So a simple couple of paragraphs that yeah, they they set my imagination alight in some respects, but I was absolutely terrified by this because even the, I, I liked him, I knew who he was, but I think I was in the minority and I couldn't see him as the Doctor. So how would anybody else? So I was fearful of this, Stephen. I don't mind admitting. Were you? I think you were talking about this on another podcast of yours that I that I was watching, and that you you were very very enthusiastic about the show coming back. And there was a friend of yours who wanted it to fail. Yes, that's right. Was, yeah. was, was, was he a Doctor Who fan or not? That was, was it? No, he he was he he was about six or seven years younger than me. So I think right. he'd grown up with the show when Colin and Sylvester were doing it. So right. he'd seen he'd come to it when the BBC themselves were sort of sabotaging it, and oh. so it had that yeah. that really unjustified stench of stamp a failure about it and and he viewed it as a show just like crossroads that was a good one to have as the butt of jokes well it become and, a national joke for hadn't it yeah. you know uh, through during its decline and then throughout the 90s it, it it just it had just become as though we were all it was reported in the press it was it was recollected in the public imagination it seemed as something that even as children we were watching being aware of it being crap so we, we yeah. were enjoy we were watching it with a sort of kitsch sensibility, enjoying it for a, for its sort of camp nonsensical values, which yeah. of course 
which of course was 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 um, a word beginning with B. I'm not going to use now. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> um, um, but. Um, so yeah but you so you were very enthusiastic and and, and this is gonna this is gonna take off and and, and you had you had great well, faith in it and then the, the name time... and then chris eccleson's name came and you thought hang on a minute what the, how the hell does that work yeah because i associate him with with social realist drama not with this character exactly who is in no way located he, in any he, of the places that i seemed him. He seemed, Stephen, so contemporary. I couldn't yeah. imagine him as the man out of time, if you follow me. Yeah. Whereas I think all the, the previous Doctors, all eight, had had that kind of edge to them. I was... At, at that time, I was... I'd been measured. I'd managed my expectations really, really strictly when it came to this... Uh, obviously, I didn't know. I knew Russell was involved. And I liked his stuff, most of it. I really liked it. I lo loved Bob and Rose, the second coming, all that stuff. So I believed in Russell, but I thought, what are they? It, but it wasn't just about who they put in it. I thought there were so many variables to this, Sarah. Who else was going to be writing it? You know, if it was going to be yeah. just anybody that they could, they dragged out of a doll queue, then what was the, you know, so there was, there were so many variables, so many ifs and buts. I refused to let myself get too excited until yeah. the thing started to take shape. And, and I was hoping that the first thing that would connect was be the casting the casting and this mm -hmm. didn't it just made me even more nervous because he wasn't and he wasn't any kind of personality either nobody really yeah. knew even the people who heard of him didn't really know who he who he was and i think that continued until he started appearing making very sparse appearances on the uh, the chat shows and the magazine mm -hmm. programs of the day should we take a look at one now yeah say yes say yes yes <laughs> yes Passions run high in science fiction circles when talk turns to who has the necessary qualifications to play that Time Lord. Yes, Doctor Who is coming back, and after much speculation, it's been revealed that none other than Christopher Eccleston is to play him. Very good choice. I have to say, Lex is sitting on the settee, but I think that anyway. <laughs> Morning to you. Morning. It's his very first interview since the news was announced. Hello. Congratulations. Thank you. It's a fantastic job, mm. isn't it? You yeah. must have been very excited when you were given that. I was very excited, particularly because of the writer, who's a Russell T. Davies, because I've, al I've always chosen, yeah, I've always chosen my work on the strength of the scripts, and I work with Russell on Second Coming, and uh, I do think the most important thing about any television project is the writer and the script mm. uh, and we've got some fantastic scripts it's so very excited big shoes to follow in yeah we look at the people who've done it in the mm. past you, it, daunting not at all no because i know we've got the writing and that gives me that get that gives me a safety net if mm. it, you know i i have that to rely on so it's no i'm 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 reasonably confident that we can we can do a good job and honor his past and also bring him into the 21st century which is what we want to do ah well how are you going to bring him into the 21st century well, we're not going to wear scarves and hats for a start are you not no no no, no, no. Big question despite your clip you've got to have a thing Christopher. yes you've got to have well, a I've got thing. a thing but have you what's yeah. your thing can you tell us <laughs> off camera <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be uh, a surprise. i remember that clip <laughs> so you watched that at the time did you i did and were you you thinking what was it what was it um um dan were you thinking that accent how can how can the doctor be so specific because he's so manchester there isn't he that, mm. that, that clip and i know okay i'd heard him do 
like hearts and minds. He did a Liverpool accent, but he'd always had a working class northern accent. Whatever I'd seen him. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe there was a yeah. But there was maybe there's a, a maybe was let him have it a cock, and he doesn't think he spoke much of that character. But he's he was totally associated with very specifically parochial characters, wasn't he? And that was something in my mind. I thought. How is that voice going to sound like the doctor? You know, and and, yeah. and, and but I would, then I was asking the question. Well, are, are, is are my preconceptions of the doctor too limited yeah. <laughs> to yeah. to to are an an actor who has RP? Everybody everybody who played it, with the exception of Sylvester McCoy, spoke RP, received pronunciation of of some sort or another. I think I assumed that Chris would do that as well, or would do a version of that, even though I knew that he was he was. I think uh, I had a feeling, knowing the sort of actor he was, that he would who would be damned if he was going to do a posh accent, you know. But you see what I mean there. I mean, we we see him there talking to the late Bill Turnbull, a, a mm. lovely interview Is there. He I was dead now? It was a class right, actor. He passed away not yeah. that long ago. Right. And Sian Phillips there on on BBC Breakfast. Yeah. And although, and that's the first time I think I got a flash of his personality, Sarah. He'd been kind of unknowable at that time. He didn't do the they think it's all over, and he didn't he never did the continuity announcements on Anton Deck's takeaway, anything like that. And yet you could see there and that was you know that was fairly early on and I did see that. There are flashes of charm. There's a playfulness there. I wouldn't say that he's child childlike in any way. He's a grown man and he's very clearly very serious about what he does and very generous and very humble, but he's he's razor sharp and he inspires. I think when he clearly believes in himself and them that much, it mm. couldn't help but inspire some confidence in me, just enough to take it up a, a notch mm. or so. Yeah, I was going to say, did it help that because he was taking it so mm. seriously? That, it did. Yeah. Did and uh, over time, obviously, you know, it, it, I think Doctor Who fans, a lot of us were kind of slow to drop to drop our guards really and it's, it's understandable now of course that mm -hmm. it may be a bit of a crime come to think of it that the the departure of the actor from the role sort of overshadows everything that he did back then even now all this time on well the weird thing watching that is that presumably when he was doing that interview about starting he, he already knew he'd left didn't he mm. but not by, then no because that was before he he'd started yeah that interview was before he started playing Oh, is that before it's even even before he started mm. filming? Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah but yeah. I, I found that um, ultimately, you know, it was a very focused and uh, original take on the character. It was very uh, stratified. It was beguiling in the way that you'd want this alien character to be, and it did take the the audience took us, both the, the new fans and the returning fans, I suppose. It had a kind of do or die feel about it, I think, Stephen. It, it, it dragged us along, didn't it? Through those 13 weeks across that spring and summer oh. of 2005. It was so heady. I never forget the um, the, the day of, of the, the broadcast of, of Rose. And and I was living in Highgate in North London. And Mark Elstop, who, you know, works for Big Finish, I've talked about, talking about a lot, you know, um, <laughs> connected me to Nick Briggs. Um, I was going round to him and his wife's house to we were going to watch the first episode. I remember this; it was a beautiful day. Was mm -hmm. it May? Was it? Was it? 
March, 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 March. March. the 26th. I'll it never forget that day. Glorious, you know, early spring day or whatever. Mm. And I and I and I walked down Highgate, sort of north and hilly part of of, uh, of London. I, I remember walking down to Kentish Town, and there was one of those billboards at Kentish Town yeah. of 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 um, Eccleston and, and Piper there, and thinking this is the dawn of a new era for this program. Mark, who I was going round to watch it with, had been at drama school with Christopher Eccleston. Really? Wow. Yeah, and had a very funny story about how there was a play where um, Chris had to come on stage with a dog. And he came on stage with the dog, and the dog cocked its leg up and peed against his leg, and he had to, and he had to drag it off. <laughs> That's, that probably has never been told before, though. So anyway, but, uh, anyway that, was, that was where I was... Uh, going to watch it and so going around the anticipation rather like talking about five o'clock in the 70s seven o'clock became the 21st century five o'clock mm -hmm. didn't yeah it really did seven wasn't it on at seven o'clock yeah bang on seven o'clock all uh, 13 weeks i believe Sarah. i remember looking at mark and his wife's clock their kitchen clock and why i say mark and his wife's it belonged to both of them the clock for the rest of the whole house <laughs> and uh <laughs> not anymore and um and uh yeah watching it ticking around getting very very excited and be, i'd already seen the title sequence um and, and being having been blown away by what a great homage that was to the tom baker title sequence which was their their cue for it and everything mm -hmm. and, and how it brilliantly melded delia with with um the orchestral elements and beefed it mm -hmm. all up and everything it was just perfect i don't think it's been bettered actually that, probably not. No, I don't think it has. Looking I, back, probably not. I don't think they should ever have changed it. Anyway, um, but um, and then you know it's starting, and there were moments that were sort of I was going, yeah, yeah, and then it would go, oh, you know, um, because you know I so wanted it to be perfect, and it couldn't possibly be, and it was trying to do something in forty-five minutes and getting that new audience over and that young audience and stopping them from turning over to Anson Deck or whatever. But there were bits. There were, the, the burping bin was was a was a, a shock. That was like, oh mm. no, don't do that to me. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I wanted to be taken deadly serious from start to finish, and and that was that was my hope with Eccleston that it was it was going to be, you know, uh, an intensely seriously taken piece of drama, as it was in my recollection of Doctor Who at its best. But you know, it was trying to tick so many boxes. And I remember getting to the end of that going. Okay, yeah, I, I, I'll have to watch this objectively. I'll have to not get involved with it. I'll have to try and be analytical about it and look at it as a sort of a, a media studies exercise. How'd you get on with this... that? Did it work? Well, funnily enough, thanks, the, the yeah. one we're talking about tonight was one where I didn't have to, you know, bolt on my sort of protective <laughs> you know yeah. armor because there was because at times it would entirely seduce me and other times it wouldn't and i'd, I'd be i'd be i'd be taken in and out of it but that but this because the one we're going to talk about tonight was doing something that the old series had never done never tried to do and was doing it really and playing to the strengths of the actors um i thought oh there's there, there's value in this revived series things it's doing that the old series didn't and that's that's fantastic and i'm re really excited to, to 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 discover new dimensions in this program that i thought had exhausted 
its entire arsenal, and it has. And yet, from the, from that moment on, and it didn't matter whether you were with friends or with family. Or, or with one's children, whether you were watching it with a tongue in your cheek, expecting it to fail, like my my old friend, or whether you were, you know, willing it to take flight, Sarah, it did from the very first night get people in front of the television again. More often than not, when I speak to people and hear anecdotes, you know, Stevens, I, you hadn't told me that before. People connected and gathered together to watch this show come back, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. Maybe Sarah can tell us, tell us about what it was like to to see it as somebody, you know, a young adult or late teenager. Mm -hmm. you well, surely you're a child. <laughs> I was 19, bless you. <laughs> you were at university, weren't you, when this was premiered? Yes, uh, so I was in my uh, student digs. Yeah. Um, really annoyed my friends because we were supposed to be organising to get out because it was a Saturday night and lovely weather and I was like no I want to I want to see what this new show's about um what was it what was it that, that lured you to it then what it was, it? was what the was it? um the trip of a lifetime trailers that they did right. yeah yeah I just they thought were, they were yeah, great they were fine from, from you know both perspective you know do you want to come with me we're gonna go <laughs> on this adventure and then uh Rosa's side you know, I'm gonna. I've got a job. I've got a boyfriend, and then I've got the you know danger. I'm just like this. Just sounds really cool and really interesting. It, it was so simple, wasn't it, Sarah? Yeah. A way of appealing to people, of mm -hmm. connecting with people. You could immediately imagine that, that it's not that they were you and you were them. You could think you you, you were in their position. Mm -hmm. Everybody knew a girl like Rose. Oh yeah, absolutely. And oh, and when it first started, you know, she's in this job she's not particularly happy uh you know it's not a particularly exciting life but she's getting through it and then uh all hell breaks loose and it was just so well done and the way it, it, it kind of you know there were that trail of breadcrumbs the miss who is this doctor and uh finding each other again and you know him tracking him down and meeting clive and so you've got that element of mystery and then obviously all the saving the world and you know and rose gives as good as she gets as you know she's part of the solution and it's just that ending part when he asks her do you want to come come with me and she says no and I, i've spoke before about like what, what are you talking about <laughs> why do you want to stay with mickey didn't, didn't you feel sorry for noel clark i did <laughs> no because it no because he was an arsehole in this one i felt sorry for him later well, in the first was, episode but again noel noel's uh, mickey the way that he brought mickey to life he was really relatable as well which is knowing well, he, was, he, spent, he spent half of that episode as an as uh, an automaton he wasn't even actually playing mickey <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And when, when Noel left, I was yeah. so upset. Yeah. But at this point in time, Noel was like, "No, he don't care about you. He just wants to watch the football. Go off, come <laughs> off of this strange man." It's also it, yeah. also wonderfully considered from everybody oh. on screen. I felt, I mean, and, and seeing this incarnation of the Doctor as well. Like I said, I'd seen him in costume in the tabloid newspapers, and that hadn't helped me get get with this character and no, see what Eccleston was doing. But I decided that if this series that meant so much to me was was have was going to have any impact 
let alone any any ideas of longevity again i tried to keep all that out of my mind i i just kept my distance from it i placed some faith and i waited that time out between 2004 and the premiere just with my fingers and toes all crossed i needn't have worried the, the irony ended up being that this doctor connected with pretty much everyone and in particularly me this was an incarnation of the character that i saw a lot of my myself in somehow he he may have taken a chance by taking this role and i believe throughout that 13 weeks even though there was a lot on the page from russell and everybody else who was writing it but i think chris eccleston continued to be very brave with it and challenging himself perhaps with varying degrees of success i think he's talked about that publicly as well but the do this doctor was a very sophisticated character and that was regardless of the of the um balance to each individual story i think that this season was where i first started using the phrase sarah that it's more than the sum of its parts mm -hmm. it had got the arc and clearly they got all scripts in hand for eccleston and everybody else to look into these characters and think, okay I, I know where i can take this i know how long i've got and and create a kind of magic as cheesy as this sounds i feel i feel that it, it is absolute magic and proper tv gold i have no hesitation at all in calling this classic doctor who now even if it does make me feel really quite old steve <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's almost inconceivable that it's that it's now it is as we said eight, 18 years ago isn't it that uh that yeah. this, that this that this thing started because it seems like yesterday um and um I was I I wasn't won over by Rose, I, but I I think I was won over by it's a bit rather like the arc in space with with Tom Baker for me. It was the second one, the end of time. Something Same about something about uh, conceptually as well that that the idea um, of taking the companion to see the Earth actually destroyed was a was a was an astonishing idea, and then that juxtaposition of her ringing jackie from from the end the the end of our time basically and she's that that shot of camille kajuri put, putting the washing in as yeah. she gets the phone call five billion mm -hmm. years how many is it five billion years beautifully mind-blowing and isn't sort of being um flippantly dismissive in in in, in the in the douglas adams way it's got all the preposterousness particularly the end of the world because that was the episode that seduced me as well and made me think oh yes doctor but, Who it, is back. but it takes it, all that preposterousness. Yeah. it takes a, a douglas adams idea but then with with the, the the contrast with with the housing estate and the mum and playing mm. that not for laughs uh, you know as as a as a, as a sort of a you know a, a crazy concept. it shortens that distance that... between us oh, and what's going yeah. on on screen doesn't it yeah. it moors yeah. it well, in it, yeah i was gonna say it's that world. anchor yeah uh, my favorite scene in end of the world was when rose actually stops and thinks and realizes what she's done because i i don't think that had really happened before in classic home no. people had just kind of just gone along with it and all of a sudden she's is a complete stranger yes you know where the hell am i I'm talking to Ruffalo, the the yeah um, the former. that's a lovely I've got scene no idea who he is yes that's yeah. right yeah yeah brilliant there's yeah. a sounding board i mean i found really really quickly that that me placing the faith that i had it was very well placed indeed and the stories that aired throughout that 
crucial first season that restarted Doctor Who almost without exception they've become emblemic really of how how to make how to make great compelling adventure television uh, they they were talked about not just by the likes of us but by the not we two people who would probably never think to go out and buy one of the dvds maybe they don't own a box set some of them might not have even watched it in the years yeah. in between it, it was cool it was, to like doctor who it was very very cool and those things have stayed with people yeah. how many times do you still hear are you my mummy it is almost up there with exterminate oh yeah um i i think as i was going through it and and being sort of pulled this way and that by my feelings about it and 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 things i liked about moments like oh it's that's too sentimental for, for my taste or that's yeah. too goofy for my taste but i kept finding moments like in end of the world with mm. with 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 jackie tyler of the washing oh that moment where that wonderful conversation she has with 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 the ruffalo character or yeah. then in 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 um the unquiet dead that extraordinary scene she has with um the girl who then went on to be in torture uh, Gwen. Was, uh, yeah. Gwen. Oh, yeah, yeah. that ex that, just that extraordinary sign of 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 her t of her psychically seeing what the modern world what our world was like mm. and i think i think that's the first and then she that's right she she she's the first to zone in on uh pete tyler's death isn't she that's the first mm -hmm. the first mention of it mm -hmm. she knows that that that, that um rosie's dad's dead just watching thing like that and go oh this is this is this is a dramatic scene that is utterly ne you would never find it in the old series it's just it's it's ne it's never happened before this is dogs who doing uh completely new things within 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 sort of generic parameters we we thought we always thought it could go anywhere in time and space mm. but you never thought it could go into particular areas of no. of other what you associate with other sorts of drama and do it really well and it not to sort of sit jarringly within the format mm. They did yeah. it the very, That's very right. best, the very, very best they could, I think, Sarah. And there, there were still, there were time constraints to this, just the same as they'd been in yeah. the classic series. There were still budgetary constraints too, mm -hmm. and actors' availability and all manner of things. As it turns out now, as the books are finally being written about the dawn of new Doctor Who, there were so many uh, pitfalls, I suppose, and things that they learned on the fly. Mm -hmm. But to us, over that 13 weeks, getting this whole era in effect in such a, a small period of time in these tightly knitted together episodes it just feels really really special doesn't it probably sp special in different ways for all of us maybe yeah it's such a i think because it's just that one season unfortunately it is uh it feels very self-contained and it does almost feel quite yeah it's its own thing. It, yes, it's part of New Home, but it, it's its own. It's its own special thing as well. Um, yeah, I, I have such sentimental value for because it it was the the one that got me back. But just memories of the time, um, just becoming absolutely obsessed with it every week, and making people watch it. Um, like that, I after Rose, I and mean, I watched it again when it was repeated on the Sunday, yeah. and then by the following week, I'd got my family watching End of the World, and we all, I got my nan, my nephew, oh. so completely different, and it became a regular thing. It was 
right, we'll have tea. And then we watched, and we did that for the full 13 weeks. And we're going to be focusing on one particular chunk of this lovely special time in Doctor Who history, as always, on this edition of the show. That's after I remind you that if you'd like to do some real time travelling of your own, each and every edition of this show, past, present and future, is just a tap or two away on the device of your choice, but only if you know precisely where to look. Yeah, there's masses of reviews, previews, interviews, geek outs and deep dives, all with our regular panellists and some pretty awesome guests something for every fan over at type40.podbean.com more boasting about that a little later on as well as uh, that regular junction where we will make contact with the matrix of all knowledge that we call the fandom podcast network for a word about all the other treats for the years on offer in all those other shows how do you follow that down down a bottle of vitex that's what i would do oh, yeah. <laughs> so i'm going to get some of that down me and we'll all cast our minds back to 2005 don't forget that vase said we're, we're off Hello. to we're off to a <laughs> wedding Yes, we're talking about Father's Day, broadcast on the 14th of May 2005, starring Christopher Eccleston and Billy Piper. And if it's been a while since you've seen this one, over to Sarah. She's going to fill us in, remind us of the plot to this episode of that first season, Doctor Who's big comeback year. The Doctor and Rose return to 1987 and the scene of her father's tragic road accident. But when she interferes in the course of events, the monstrous reapers are unleashed upon the world and a wedding day turns into a massacre. Even the Doctor is powerless as the human race is devoured. Bom, bom, bom! Beautifully read. Yeah. It's very Russell T Davis, isn't it, that, that passage there? Uh, but the publicity so. surrounding yeah. all of this, it wasn't just what was on screen, everything about it, wasn't it, Stephen, dragged people. There was, I think it was impossible to, to have, to be apathetic to the comeback of Doctor Who, partly because of the uh, language that was involved and the yeah. promotion. Yeah, the, the, and, the, and those trailers were fantastic, weren't mm -hmm. they? And, you know, um, where, I remember the, the, the first one I heard when, when I heard Billy Piper saying there'll be monsters, and I got this sort mm. of chill. I was mm. like, oh my god, they, they really are taking this serious. I could tell by the tone of it that they were probably going to get some of it right. <laughs> yeah. um, and um, and there was just, there was a beautiful moment on, I was on a train, I was going, doing this play in Chichester. I was, I was back and forth on the train and it was, you know, somewhere in the middle of the season and there was a kid uh, said to his mum, are we going to get back in time for Doctor Who? And to hear oh. to hear a child say that very nice again, yeah, which is oh god, yeah. it's happened again. You know, <laughs> it was there was that sense that it was on the map again in a way that it hadn't been since since the heyday of Tom Baker. You know, almost overnight. And this was the eighth episode of series one of Doctor Who, written by Paul <laughs> Cornell and directed by Joe Ahern. Now, Paul Cornell, this was his first credit on the show. He'd won a, a young writers contest for the BBC back in the early 90s. And shortly after that, he started writing on those Virgin New Adventures books, if you remember, mm -hmm. that continued the, the story of the Seventh Doctor after the telly stuff had, had stopped. But then he went on to write for television on Children's Ward and uh, various other shows followed. This was one of only three episodes that Paul Cornell has written for Doctor Who on screen. 
but he's written so many novels, a couple of audio dramas, and several comics. But he's uh, he, he's also written on the, the soaps as well, like Coronation Street and Casualty and Doctors, as well as other adventure series such as uh, Robin Hood, the BBC's Robin Hood, from around the same time, and, and Prime Evil. And he eventually uh, worked on the American show Elementary. Too. So he's done very nicely out of Doctor Who. I think it propelled him to the next level. He went on to work for Marvel and DC Comics to working on some of their most mm. iconic titles. And, and now I think he, he has a, a podcast. He's a podcast that talks about Hammer Horror films. So Paul Cornell's oh, done, cool. done a bit of everything. Whereas, whereas Joe Ahern, he's an Irish television director and writer and again he's worked on several fantasy shows he worked on uh, ultraviolet for channel four which i think had got jack davenport and idris elba in amongst other people and something called apparitions a, a sort of spooky thing i think that was on itv as well and he wrote the screenplay to danny boyle's film trance which i still haven't got round to to seeing but both of these two guys they were integral i, th I feel to the success the stylistic success of new Doctor Who, Sarah, right from the from the start. I agree. Well, I mean, you know, Paul Cornell. I uh, I grew up watching Children's Ward, so that that would have been my first thing from Russell. So I was quite familiar with that. And yeah, Joe. Um, yeah, the some of the um, creative choices in this, because it really is a it's a simple story. But it isn't a simple story <laughs> with the other parallel universe, um, time travel and, uh, you know, the consequences of time. It's quite a heavy subject, but it is very, it's presented very accessibly. Um, and, yeah. and just, you know, that little shot, just like, you know, the, the point of view from the Reapers, um, just, yeah. Uh, the um, absence of people. I mean, that playground scene is absolutely terrifying. There's lots uh, of stuff in this, uh, Sarah, I feel, mm -hmm. which, as you say, the the bird's eye view of the Reapers coming down and sort of snatching mm -hmm. people when it all goes blood red. Mm -hmm. That was hardly original in the grand scheme of things, know, but these are cornerstones of, of adventure television. Mm -hmm. But we'd never seen them done on British television before, or certainly not for a very long time. Somebody, somebody said there was there was similarity between the um, the Reaper vision and um, uh, stuff in Survival. The last yeah, the cats, yeah, the cat, the, the cat, the, the which is which is not yeah. that sort of um, vivid in my mind. That that late eighties stuff, but um, but no, it was it was it was the way that um, moments like it's a little Mickey being left on on the uh, on the swing or whatever. Um, was was wonderfully potent sort of emblem for that sort of there was a day I was left outside a, a very large co-op near where we lived reading the Green Death novelization which had just come out my mum said my mum said I won't be a minute and then the sun the sun had gone down I was so immersed in the book <laughs> and she yeah. she she disappeared I ran into the co-op and eventually found her that awful moments we must all have had them when we thought our parents had disappeared, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's evoked in that moment, isn't it? Where they, they gradually, they gradually disappear. The, the, I've the, had that the, from the, both the, sides the, as well. When my yeah. children were young, I thought I'd lost them several times. It's yeah. Casey Dyer. Oh, have you? Thank you. That hasn't happened to me. Thank yeah. God. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. It's, 
pretty yeah you'd, you go cold casey mm-hmm. dyer plays young mickey in this it's a it's quite a big cast as well there's some great mm-hmm. actors present we've got we've got several people we would we've seen before or would or would see again come to think of it for example there's a uh, camille kaduri she again plays plays jackie tyler so we'd met her back in the uh, in the first episode hadn't we and every time she appeared it was very memorable even when she hadn't got necessarily much to say or do she had great moments and this character was so well realized that even just two months into the show in week eight this was a character that we we really felt that we we knew we had julia joyce played uh, young rose in those establishing scenes we've got the actor christopher llewellyn playing stuart frank rosalia green played sunny natalie jones played sarah and Everlise Bellin played Bev with Rian James as Susie. So they were all attendants, weren't they, to the, the mm-hmm. wedding that they, they congregate to go to as the sort of the framing sequence, I suppose, for this entire story. So it all rips along. There's lots of lots of adventure, lots of momentum. There are tears shed, and there's even an element of horror too. I feel that this has sort of got got something for, for everyone. And the doctor very much at his heroic best i think according to the producer phil collinson russell t davis he came up with the concept for father's day at a very early stage when they were putting the show together as um, an irresistible sort of time travel story and the previous episodes they'd established they'd established why rose was worthy of being the doctor's companion hadn't they and mm-hmm. i think by this point they'd started to unpeel her in a similar way that they were doing the doctor and so she wasn't shown as being infallible here she's at a very precise place in her personal development that obviously meeting the doctor has made something possible that she could have never never conceived uh, the original idea was that this was going to be a, a bit of a budget saver Stephen, because they did like to do that didn't they that was 13 episodes was quite a lot to make wasn't it back in 2005 yeah. a big commitment and so it was built into it that some episodes they had to they were going to cut costs where they could in either uh, scaling down the locations or actors on screen or splitting up the main cast it must have been quite a balancing act hadn't it they were going to have no monsters in this one originally, yeah. so so so, so yeah, the, the, the the Reaper element was was not there. And then one of the was it Lorraine Hegacy or Jane Tranter or somebody somebody said no, we we got to have monsters in, in every story. Got to have monsters mm-hmm. in every story. And so um, so 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 the the Reapers were introduced. It's it's an interesting idea, isn't it? Well, they were going to be literal. They were going to be literal grim reapers. They're going to be just. Oh, they were going to be. They, they, yeah. they weren't going to be flying. I think. I think they weren't going to be in it at all at one point, and then. Yeah. And then they were going to be, you know, um, walking cowled figures, and then and then it and then it sort of become became more complex, and and they were flying, uh, flying creatures. It's difficult to imagine the story without any sci-fi elements of that sort, mm. monstrous elements. Yeah. Um, because I think I think that the the elements blend beautifully. There's a, there's a long, very tedious essay in in um, a particular um, book of fan analysis, which goes to great lengths to 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 to, to try and um, disparage the story because it because the the reapers don't make any logical scientific sense. It doesn't matter that the, the no. reapers don't. That, no. that ju- just that 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 mm. that that's interrupting the natural course of temporal events 
causes chaos is all we need to know. We don't have to work out exactly how they how they feed, you know. It's a very very visceral thing. I mean, I don't know if the you know, the the other design of having like the Grim Reaper it wouldn't have worked because you need you needed that kind of like that beast element that the uh, the swooping die like the and there's that lovely scene where um after the doctor's been vaporized and there's only the or church Ethan. left protecting yeah. them and they're on the the window and they're scraping, scraping. Yeah. Yeah, yeah bit by bit to get in and mm. you know just and that the physicality of the attack i mean there's that wonderful shot um when the doctor gets devoured it, it is he is devoured and it stays on rosa's face and it, you know you've got to convey that horror yeah. of what what's happened and you know that... she is she's she's horrified isn't she because yeah. she's seen she's known the doctor's been in danger before and mm -hmm. she's seen sort of she's seen them both she's either been with him shoulder mm -hmm. to shoulder when they're against the gelf and things like that or mm -hmm. or walled up in downing street so she's been in intense situations mm -hmm. with him before but he's always been able to pull something out of his pockets or up his sleeve or to say something but here he's just he's pinned down just like everybody mm -hmm. else isn't he mm -hmm. I think this was this was the one that you know I'd been impressed by moments in other stories, and and as I say, I'd been sort of seduced by by the end the end of the world more than than I was by Rose, and I'd liked the sort of the the Victoriana, uh, a lot of the Victoriana elements of of the, of the Unquiet Dead. And uh, hang on, where, where are we with this? Are we, that's right, Aliens of London. I think this was the first one where I thought that the concept. And the design all worked, you know, flawlessly for me. I think, and because the the idea of um, trying to change history, be it sort of in 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 personal terms or global terms or whatever, causing um, some sort of bestial chaos to to manifest itself, I don't think could have been any better realised than it was by the design and, and the use of the CGI and everything. Um, uh, and the manifestation of the Reapers, but it, but the fact that all along it was putting the human story and the performances center stage, mm. and all those elements blending perfectly. But the, but the, the the important thing with the story was the writing and the mm. performances, particularly of Billy Piper and Sean Dingle is just just mesmerizing in that part. Just just this is uh, Billy Piper's brilliant. personal. F personal favorite episode certainly of of season one and obviously she gets a lot to do she gets to dig into the character doesn't she and just as you say i mean it is very very contained and it was all shot in in cardiff they just needed to do a little bit of dressing there sarah to to a, a few a few streets and the church they had to take down satellite dishes and, yeah. and things like that but other than that it hadn't really changed a great deal so they had to evoke 1987 and they do that beautifully don't they with the, with this track never can say goodbye mm -hmm. by the communards big hit record and we hear that playing don't we right at the at the start it immediately sets the tone mm -hmm. sets the feel i think it came out two weeks before or, uh, you know, looking at the looking at the the time of release of the of the, yeah. of the date it set, it was it was, and it couldn't have been better chosen because as the title, you know, and the, yeah. and the theme of the song. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's a cracking song. And I have investigated, because obviously I was around in 1987, yeah. and so was Doctor Who. So the placing of this episode, Father's Day, in real time, it's uh, it's in early November. So it just so happens to be mid that midpoint between the first and second episodes of standout classic Delta and the Oh Batman. my God, Yay! you still have Your to get favorite. it in. <laughs> Your absolute favourite, Dan. Yes, this should have had this should have had a sneaky reference in to it. I'm, I'm astonished they didn't actually. Yeah. yeah. Do you know that's never occurred to me to to work out what 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 Doctor Who was on at the time. It never occurred to me. How bizarre, you know. Well, these things yeah. they they do stay with me, obviously, because this yeah. was this was my. This was my time. This was when mm -hmm. I was a child too. I wasn't as young as Rose was in these framing sequences that they used in the episode. So we see Jackie looking through a photo album. That we see that we see that at the beginning of the episode, don't we, Sarah? And we go back to it at the very end too. I think this is the first time. Can correct me if I'm wrong, Stephen? That we'd seen Doctor Who sort of play with the narrative like this. I know it's hardly Quentin Tarantino, but this framing sequence of a story within a story. Well, it's, I think it's um, certainly one of very few instances where where there's a narrator, and mm -hmm. uh, and it's certainly the first story, the only story in my memory that where there's where the companion narrates. Marco Polo narrates a lot of Marco yes. Polo. Um, there's the Tom Baker um, intro to Deadly Assassin, isn't it, mm -hmm. with the, with, the, with the scroll going up there. Um, I can't think of. I'm, I, I'm not sure if there are any any other narrated instances. Little bits and pieces, yeah. yeah. But I yeah. like how it switches from her conversation with Jackie in the past with her mum on her bed, to her talking to the doctor in the low lights of the TARDIS and just explaining to him something that she'd like to do somewhere she'd like to go, Sarah. But by this, yeah. they have clearly been travelling with one another for a while yeah. because obviously she'd been back to earth and grabbed her kit she'd moved in hadn't she mm -hmm. after world war three and this is an unspecified length of time afterwards do you think the characters by the time we see them and by the time that he he does take her back in time to to see her parents wedding do you think they're changed just in the in the eight weeks in between i think so and I, yeah it is alluded to that, that they've been traveling a long time um you know they're a lot more comfortable with each other and um, and you know the com. I mean, the conflict it, that that was a big draw for me, for this one because I, you know, I'd never seen that before. I mean, I wasn't used to Tegan and other people talking back. So this was the first time that these, you know, they they had a proper argument. You know, what was all that about? And and Rose was giving. Was going, and I they mean, weren't the, the, just arguing, weren't they, about what no. day of the week it was? This was a real. Point of contention between them, and and the, the possibility of a betrayal of trust. Those are those are mm -hmm. deep topics it as well. Is. Those are thick concepts. Yeah, and yeah, and you know, so you've got you've got to be clear. You've got to have that that level of friendship to have that level of conflict. And again, Rose steps up. You know, when she's arguing the point she's making, you know, so it's all right when you go back and you save people. You know, they, she's no longer. I mean, they're both equal at this point. Um, and, and she's right, you know, like, it's a rational thought. Um, she honestly can't, she don't think that she's done anything wrong. Um, and then it was, uh, it was quite upsetting at the time. Like, I don't want these two to fall out. Oh, you know, he's not really going to leave her. Like, of course, he isn't going to leave her as the doctor. Um, but it was, 
after seeing them together for so long, and I'm being you know this perfect like dream team, to see it fall apart and you know and with that little, it's so harsh, isn't it, Sarah? Yeah, that's, and, and, that, and there's that inkling of, has this been in her mind all the time? Because I don't want to think that about Rose, and I don't think Russell ever. They never nail said. it down, do they? They never no. say one. one I like way to or think another. it was. I think it was just the an opportunity arose. I, I don't want to think that of Rose. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it I, is, uh, I don't think I don't think it was. I, I don't get yeah. the sense it was. I think it, I think something that that, mm. that gradually just 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 occurred to her as mm. as they were travelling that this that this might be a possibility. When it first went out, this series, I was watching it um, very very uh, objectively and analytically. I wasn't being so. I was going. I was going. That works. I, mean, I suppose you know from an acting yeah. point of view. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. And and going that choice works out. Like remember that that thinking things like the benefit of of having um, the money and the 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 facilities to do a shot like. And I think this this is this is probably Joe Ahern's first because he directed Dalek, didn't he? You don't see the interior yeah. of the TARDIS in Dalek. I think That's his right. first one was Dalek. This is a, when she's asking Eccleston you know oh do you think i'd go back and see see my father the camera starts close on to him and then as she's talking the camera pulls back right. to reveal mm. the vast interior of the tardis which i remember the, the time thinking, oh that's brilliant that you could you know mm. there, there was never a shot like that in in tc3 in the uh, in the old series because the set was about the size of this room you know yeah yeah but that that, that to, to 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 sort of have that have that you know parallel the idea of what the TARDIS can do and, and the vastness of of its capabilities mm. compared with this this finite desire that she has. Mm. And then the, there was the shot of when you when you were talking about how you felt about uh, you know Sarah about about but not wanting them to fall out, mm. you know. Um, I remember that that scene in Pete's flat when she's when she's done it. And Eccleston gives her the stern look. And I remember that when I first watched it, I feel this less now because of all these associations we were talking about, mm. Eccleston's association with particular sorts of drama, I'd still got very much in my head him playing that teacher. I'd still got in my head that the doctor should be somebody who doesn't speak RP, who does speak RP. Mm -hmm. I was hearing somebody from a very particular place from the north of England. Mm -hmm. And I, was, I kept being taken out and think, this isn't, so when he says, when he's being stern with her, I remember sort of a little wry smile playing in my mind or whatever, of it sounding like, he sounded like a stern teacher mm. talking talking to a pupil. It, it, is, know, it go, is all go, very- I told you, Tyler, you're getting yeah. a, you're <laughs> a week's detention. And if you try to save your dead dad one more time, you'll be right in front of that bloody headmaster. The script isn't florid in any way. That is how yeah. regular people talk to one another was, within that families. Was, that was another part of the remit, wasn't it? There should be no mm. florid language. The doctor shouldn't, mm. you know, shouldn't be mm. using sort of, you know, multi-syllabic words. That scene is probably probably my favourite of all of, of season one. And the line, when, when she says back to him, he goes storming off. You know, he, he has the, the TARDIS key back from her, doesn't he? And she yeah. says, well, you don't scare me. The idea that he would leave her behind, you don't scare me. And it's the line, I know how sad you are. Mm. That's yeah. really deep. 
and you'll, yeah. you'll be back in a minute or you hang around outside the TARDIS and you're waiting for me, pining for me. I know how sad you are. These characters really know one another. Mm. And that, that dug deep with me then. And it still does every time I hear it now and the way they perform it. And the that scene that you talked about earlier on, Stephen, it's really, really intimate. What she asks of him, she asks it face to face. I get the impression that she's never asked particularly anything of him before. And so, you know, this is my best friend. Yeah. Why wouldn't I? I, I I'll, I'll do this. I can trust this person. It's fine. I'll be okay. She'll listen to me. It's interesting. It's spectacularly yeah. reckless of him, isn't it, to to uh, to it do sense. this? And it you... does make you wonder. I mean, would he not have it in the back of his mind that it was a possibility? So you know, he's pretty grounded and a good judge of character. Um, that it wasn't a possibility at all that she might crumble, especially after that. When she has to try again, you know, and you get that close-up mm. of his eyes, like he knows this is a bad idea. We'd heard her mention yeah. her father. We, we knew that she lost her dad when she was very young. That had been another thing that sort of built into the show. With little mentions here and there, wasn't it, Sarah? But this is where we meet Pete Tyler for the very first time. As you said, Stephen, played by Sean Dingle, a, a fantastic actor, mm. a stage and screen, uh, born in London, went, went to the Central S School of Speech and Drama, mm. and he played, played lead in, in several dramas, before and since he was on a show called touching evil with i think was it robson green i always get robson and jerome mixed up but i know he, he was yeah. integral, yeah. integral yeah. to that wasn't he and he was in the may grace show with rowan atkinson too so this is a man who's who's still in good stuff but his performance as pete in this realistically if if he had failed in any respect of selling us on that character being a man of his time and it's mm -hmm. In many respects, Sarah, he's quite a pathetic figure, isn't he? But gradually, obviously, it's, it is there on the page in Paul's script, but Sean portrays him so beautifully. I don't want to liken him to Del Boy because that wouldn't be fair on, on no. Sean Dingwall because yeah. I don't. I think there's there's something else to this. He's not just a Del Boy. There's something else, Sarah. He is. Oh, he's a proper diamond in the rough. You know, there's that yeah. shot. Yeah. You know, yeah, you can see why Jackie liked him and uh yeah i, I was just gonna say i mean I, 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 need, I need to praise billy here you know because she was still you know a very new actress at this point and she's absolutely holding her own between christopher and sean um i just think yeah she's, she's absolutely i think phenomenal she's, she's, in this. She's more than holding her own. I think. I think. I yeah. think she's she's ab she's absolutely yeah. spectacular. And I mean, it is it is a, a, an extraordinary ensemble um, uh, piece. This, although it's yeah, I think it's, Eccleston's probably got less to do than they have. It's it, the the relationship between. I I I hate being um, prompted to cry by anything. Really, really hate. Yeah you know feeling <laughs> lacrimose and yeah. but it does it every time this thing yeah and i thought i wonder if i'm gonna cry this time and i <laughs> every bloody time i do in the scene uh, you know in the crypt with between um between um billy piper and sean dingwall it's just it's just absolutely real Each and so little is said isn't it and she's not flood of tears there was just there's just a trickle and we don't just so, it, i mean all the way through re-watching it again it, just the precision of of the of the absolute precision of the emotions when she's watching them have that row outside the outside yeah. the church 
you know when she says no you you, you get on that 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 sort of the the disintegration of the fantasy idea because yeah she's romanticized her, she's her romantic, father and mother she's ro- she's fate hadn't taken her father away from her mother and her yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and the, and the, and the you know well he doesn't play around the thing about the duffel coats and everything and it's also round about this time of this to talk about this, this this word that's a, quite a recent word isn't it uh relatability people like to mm. talk about so uh, whether something's right or not. and and i and i always thought i was a little bit aloof to that sort of response of things <laughs> I was analyzing things from a distance but, it, yeah. but there's something about this story because my dad died in um february of 2005 um oh. and i was going through you know, as as you have to do when people die, going through all the photographs and seeing, you know, my mum and dad at various, various stages all with me when I was a kid and everything. And that sort of, and that yearning you have for them to come back or to be, to be, to, to somehow to, 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 um, to step into those photographs or whatever. And this yeah. story has that quality, doesn't it? Yeah. Aside, aside from the, from the sci-fi element of mm-hmm. that's that's what happens when we see old photographs and she, there she is in in those scenes having that experience that we have in our imaginations when we look at photographs or, or we lament somebody who's gone and that's i was just astonished by how powerful this this story was regardless of of um what it's actually about thematically just how it how it evokes those feelings in me mm-hmm. about my own family. Completely you know. agree. When we last spoke, Stephen, you and I, we talked about about the Doctor and about the casting of of the Doctor. And I told you, didn't I, that I know a lot of Doctor Who fans. There's a there's a proportion of Doctor Who fans who, for them, it's almost inconsequential who plays the part of the yeah. Doctor because the Doctor's always the same. It doesn't really matter who wears who wears the coat and who says the things and flies the TARDIS because that proportion of the fan base are only there for story. And they do tend, and those particular breed of fans do tend to be very well-read, very literate people. Mm-hmm. And they are there, Sarah, for the story mm-hmm. alone, for the narrative to be spun a, a sci-fi fantasy blended story that they can't get anywhere else i've always known a chunk of fans like that and i did then back in 2005 and when this season was was airing week by week by week all of those fans that particular kind of fan they all hated this and and most of them most of them because there's there's a couple of them i I still talk to quite a lot and most of them still do they count this as like oh it's the it was the worst episode of season one and certainly one one of the very worst episodes since it came back because to them obviously there's i wouldn't say there's no narrative to this but the narrative the story the the threat the the typical doctor who threat of the of the monsters and the running around that comes very secondary doesn't it to the character to the character interplay i think this as you said Stephen, this is something the series hadn't done before it's it switches up its priorities in a way that shows like american shows like buffy had done very very successfully i know buffy wasn't the first to do that i Mm -hmm. think various sci-fi shows had done it and certainly a, a lot of obviously shows that are driven by human interest stories they do it all the time but these are sort of these are sort of fans who, who are worried about um whether the reapers are 
bacteria or antibodies and how exactly Perhaps. the science of that works. Yeah. <laughs> it's just very, it's interesting to me that it's all, it's the same fans who say things like, I don't really care who plays the Doctor, or does it really matter? And the same fans who really took against this and still will go into a good 10 minute rant about how this is just soap opera nonsense. They just dismiss it instantly does that sound strange to you sarah you've never come across it, that no never i think it's the fact that it was set out just like stephen said to make them feel something and yes. they weren't accustomed to that i mean I, I, that may sound patronizing I, but i have to speculate like that because obviously at this point you know we're into week eight uh, completely invested in both these characters in their relationship and it's purposeful isn't it it's doing it, it deliberately it knows what it's doing it really pulls on your hearts, but I don't think it does it gratuitously. It's not mawkish yeah. in any way, no. It's, uh, I mean, it was just the right level. Um, but yeah, it just, for me, it all made sense. I think when you, when the, you know, these fans saying about it, it doesn't make sense. So I think, I think it does. You know, if you were presented with this opportunity, you would take it. And, you know, everything that Rose was thinking and feeling, you know, that is completely relatable. Um, the, fantasy of what her parents were like and then you know seeing a disappointment and then seeing them little snippets of what it's like and just uh you know there's something really heartbreaking you know when, when she's trying to protect pete and she yeah. won't answer his questions about what it looks like in the future and, you know, she little, makes glances, little glances between them I mean, and if that's it all it needs right. and yeah. uh, um but every, I mean, you know, and everything that like then the the supporting stuff like you know the couple that's getting married. I mean, we and Stephen have talked about this before, but there's that lovely scene where Stuart and Sarah say, you know, can you save us? We don't know what's going on. Yeah. Uh, and they don't think they're important. And there's a lot lovely speech uh, by the doctor, and it's just and it's such a you know a doctor moment. Um, you know that he, he values every human and you know there's another bit where when pete realizes that he is meant to die and he says you know that that's why i've never done anything with my life and the doctor says you know it doesn't work like that and you know he appreciates all the little things i just think there's so much going on in this story not just uh, the emotional stuff uh, i just feel like these fans are missing out <laughs> they really are and and you're right, he's sort of on the outskirts of a lot of it, isn't it? But the things that he does say, and the things that he does, they're very precise, aren't they? Like the little exchanges, the glances between him and Pete. It doesn't work like that. It's, again, it's, it's very no-nonsense. Yeah. It's interesting, just, just going back to, to what, what Sarah's saying there about the getting the taxi at two o'clock in the morning. Mm. It, it, it is a lovely moment, and, it, and, and of course, it, this is stuff that plays very much to Christopher Eccleston's strength, you know, the, 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 the social... If they'd done this sort of stuff, which which dealt with human emotions and people's minds, and they'd done it badly, you know, and it had become mawkish, then, you know, that would be lamentable. But if, the, if the, the fact that it's done so well and so precisely, I found mesmerising at the time, and I find mesmerising now. And there's something about the this recurring theme in, in this new series about the giving value to ordinary, there's no such thing as an ordinary person. That's yeah. that, that, that mm. sort of, that genuine egalitarian um, message of the program that, that, that which I, I think is, 
um, a good one, and 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 they, you know, it could easily become trite. And I think certainly in this first series, and certainly in this story, it doesn't. And 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 it's, it's quite. It's, it's it's framed in a very broad way, isn't it? But then again, it, this show was for a broad, a broad audience, for a mainstream audience. Mm. Yeah, and I suppose you could say it's the province of uh, of Star Trek that that kind of statement is something that we're used to, particularly in the original series of Star Trek. But I think with the some of the next generation ones too, I wouldn't say it's a morality tale as such, but it does make a very it identifies uh, and makes a, a statement, doesn't it, about the human condition? And in several ways, this reminds me of Star Trek. Come to think of it, it reminds me of a specific episode of Star Trek featuring another road accident. So the, the classic original series Star Trek episode, "The City on the Edge of Forever," written by Harlan Ellison, the guest star Joan Collins, one of the most memorable of of all Star Trek episodes. Where again, it, time travels involved, isn't it? And, and Kirk falls for Edith Keeler, but she has to die, and destiny and and all that kind of it's, it's all very much in there and i do wonder if that may have been a bit of an influence on father's day but only to a tiny degree it's difficult to to imagine it not of being um mm. uh, and uh, because um as i recall doesn't she that she if she lived she would have set up a pacifist organization which would have delayed america's entry into world That's war ii that's the one. Um, so it was, it was very much in that. Well, it's very much in that realm of, of um, Terry Nation, sort of uh, as he does in the first Dalek story, saying pacifism is a bad idea when you've got Nazis around. Um, uh, that's that's the, that's the main point of that of that temporal paradox in, in that particular story. Whereas this is much more focused on um, the value of individuals and the, the value of Pete as a bloke, and even if he was. You know, um, a useless article in so many ways. Um, yet he's a valuable person, and, and and yet it's wonderful that 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 Rose should see him briefly, warts and all. I got to keep just keep returning to his his astonishing performance because you, there's moments where you think a less skilled actor that would just have turned into a comedy scene. You know, like like yeah. the, you know m moments like with the. Um, well, the, the the glorious wedding scene at the beginning, mm -hmm. where he gets her name wrong. What's she, what she <laughs> yeah. actually called? She's actually called Jacqueline Suzette Andrea Prentice, yeah. isn't it? It's yeah. just his timing, isn't it? He goes Jacqueline, Suzanne, Suzette, Anita, <laughs> and, then he looks, <laughs> and he looks 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 Look to the registrar, you know, or the or the scene where he he starts to come on to. To both of them, there. Mm. That's just beautifully played. That that uh, you know when she with the speech she has, which can culminates with Bermuda Triangle. You know, <laughs> but it's just so brilliantly played. You know? And I suppose moments of tension as well that we all recognise. Yeah. We've all been to weddings. We've all heard mm. people get a bit dry mouthed, and they make statements like that. These lasting statements there. And, and I suppose in a character like Pete Tyler, because his comic timing is so good. You know uh, that he he just he just nails it without it going too far. Mm. You know, and beautiful moments like you know when when he hasn't worked out yet that he was supposed to die. There's something about why she's looking at him oddly, and you know, mm. I, have I gone bald? 
Of a, you know, that's actually, you know, his, his because his this episode, Stephen, because they've only got obviously, this is the first time we've spoken about a new series episode and a 45 minute sort of done in one, they haven't got that feature length runtime to play with to develop the characters over 100 minutes like they would in the classic show so we have to we see the characters sort of full journey or, or at least as we as we thought is present here so in offering us a, a broader character at the start then see him go through this growth such as he does and the the things that when they dawn on him that we see them on sean dingwall's face it's more effective because yeah. we've because we've had this sort of initial we've been initially we've been sold on this character as being quite broad quite recognized mm-hmm. we've seen characters a bit like him in other things but he in, he shows more growth in 40 odd minutes worth of this than you would probably get in in the average episode of, of even great shows like minder where we'd see a lot mm-hmm. of characters that were very similar to this yeah. you can see the exact minute the penny drops when he's looking out of that window it's just beautiful shot as well with the, yeah. through the lead lighting of that, that mm-hmm. that's that's a wonderful choice to have it through through the through the old church window isn't it it's fantastic and, and, I, and yeah. I love how he he's gone from this kind of he's not a wimp but you know he don't really know what he's doing and then, and then by the time the doctor's gone he stands up he's like right i'm taking charge the doctor's not here i'm your dad and it, oh, it's just wonderful, fantastic performance. Yeah, I'm, I'm your dad. That's more, more important than anything else, isn't it? And mm-hmm. like I said, in that scene where they are together in the, in the church, and uh, yeah, he realizes who she is, and it, just the outstretched hand on her cheek like that—it mm-hmm. gets me every single time. There's an extraordinary when he comes back from the leaded light window. There's an extraordinary shot of of rose in closer which is which it, it's the, the 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 lighting makes her almost look like a statue and he comes and he walks from the other end of the church towards her it's just a, it's beautifully sort of bleak and hopeful at the same time just to go back to that i i think a lot of the new new the revised series stuff i felt very much that it was it, it was too rushed off and i think oh my god suddenly we're at the denouement it's all over this yeah. one when I first saw it, and we were just watching it yesterday, uh, it feel that the, the, it w- it uses that forty five minutes perfectly. I think this is just it's just beautifully structured. It all just falls into place at exactly the right in in exactly the right time. You know, so when when it comes to its conclusion, you you feel that that's when it should end. Um, terribly well written and edited and directed. I think we hear quite a lot, don't we? How Russell T Davies had uh, well I don't know if he literally rewrote every single episode but I think he tweaked the characters all the characters that we meet at the wedding some of them only got two or three lines but we immediately feel like we know them the 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 groom and his father who's who's killed by a a reaper we've heard him say two or three things Sarah but we immediately feel for him feel like we know him and when he's killed we feel we feel that that's what this show was brilliant at doing back then i think and i think it had this for a really long time as well well into the time that stephen moffat was doing it well i think he maybe took his eye off the ball a little with some of the characterization like this but it was integral to to selling us on these stories let's say in, in that more compact run time i mean i don't think there's a single character in any of these probably the first four seasons actually where they're not killed and i don't feel anything mm. 
Well, yeah, but you, you know, if, if you don't feel for this character, you know, that the death's meaningless. It doesn't, you haven't got them stakes. And yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, the dad, you know, it clearly doesn't want this wedding to take place. Um, but you, you feel sad when, it, you know, when he dies. And then when Stuart brings back the phone and he, and he talks about, you know, my dad said this and then he just stops and it, it yeah, and his face crumples, and Sarah's face crumples, and you do, and you know, and even the doctor, you know, he's saying, "I can't do anything for him." You know, I can't help him; he's gone. Um, yeah, and you know, the um, the other characters, you know, the like, Mickey's mum. Um, again, like Stephen was saying, the fact that his mum just vanished—it's just you know, yeah. she didn't even speak, but you know, yeah. she didn't need to. We just got that that look from Mickey um, but yeah all the, the supporting characters like the one was it Beth or Susie when she's mocking Mickey if I was like oh is it aliens coming to get you you kind of already know that <laughs> that kind of you already know like what kind of person she was and yeah it was very very well done I love the timing of yeah. of Pete asking um, Rose if she's got a boyfriend, and then you hear Jake go, Mickey, and then he runs through and and and, and the yeah. little boy grabs him. You go, yeah. Oh Christ, that's because, Mickey! Isn't it? Yeah. Because Mickey, Mickey immediately pops into our brains, doesn't he? Yeah, 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 and then yeah, he yeah, literally yeah. runs yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. You got you got to get you got to let you got to let go of me, sweetheart. I'm always saying that. <laughs> so I, I, didn't re- I didn't. I didn't recognise him in a suit. That's that's. that's yeah, that's. <laughs> he's got his got his little chain as well. Yeah. yeah. It's riddled with great comedic lines. That's another thing yeah, about it. It's all just the very, way It's a very very witty script without it becoming overtly or caricatured comedy. You know, it's 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 brilliant. Brilliant the way it balances that plays that part yeah. hard, hard one to hard one to strike because yeah it, it is as you said you use the word visceral Sarah at moments it is as you said Stephen it is it is very very witty it's fantastic television in pretty much every respect I think and and for me this is still probably probably the standout episode that sort of made me wow Doctor Who can can do this not only not just try this can do this and can do it really really well and week on week on week on week, people were talking about this show for the for the best reasons. Father's Day was nominated for the 2006 Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation in Short Form. But then again, so were another three episodes of this of this same season. Dalek, The Empty Child, and The Doctor Dances were all nominated. It was the, the Doctor Dances one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, the Empty Child and the Doctor Dances won. But to to have this in there as well, I think it's it's more than more than fair, understandable. And it would all be quite a tough act to follow. I mean, when you look back at the at the at this whole time when Doctor Who was taking flight again and grabbing people's attention and and I, I think, I think it was the best show on TV back then. I can't think of any, certainly from my point of view, pretty much from week one, I think it was right, the best show on was. TV. Yeah. <laughs> more, more to the point, it felt like the most important show Mm-hmm. on British television for, for better or worse that was bringing people together and getting them talking and being bold with something which they could have quite easily have, have just made cheap imitations Stephen of, of classic stories couldn't they and played it really really safe but well, the fact yeah. that they went for broke do or die like I said at the top of the show I think I yeah as I was as I was going through the series I thought well I'm I'm probably too old to be 
frightened by any any new piece of Doctor Who that's made mm. now. I'm not I'm not gonna be responding to it in in the way that I did to the old series, or or to be thrilled by it. But then something like a story like this would come along. I think, well, I'm certainly old enough to be affected by something mm -hmm. emotionally that's hard, that's using a sci-fi format mm -hmm. to deliver a a, um, a piece of uh, emotive drama, and that wasn't something I was expecting. It was it was going to be capable of. Later with the Moffat stuff, I was I was almost um not frightened but 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 sort of affected by by the by the the the, the sort of the the horror sci-fi elements again mm. i don't think it happened to me very much in the davis era at all um i was i was engaged by the revived series when when moffat took over more in the way that i had been in the in the old series mm. but we can talk about that another mm. day i did wonder about this moment though Stephen, as a, as a classic fan when when the doctor go, gets back yeah, to the yeah. time yeah yeah after the event has happened yeah. and the reapers are uh, seeking they, their prey aren't they and they're, and they're trying to cleanse the wound he gets back to the tardis opens the door and there's nothing there that's a very kind of mind robber-esque moment isn't it it's it the is, kind of it? the yeah. classic it's that, show, yes it's that it's that sort of yeah tardis existential moment isn't it? it's like the, the the mind robber disintegrating at the end of mm -hmm. episode one um a, a, a fantastic image very very eerie mm -hmm. The prop they wanted it originally to fall apart, didn't they? Mm. But did it was they? too expensive. Yes, they did, too yeah. expensive. <laughs> and then it was one of those happy accidents that they couldn't. They thought, Actually, it's a more powerful image that it doesn't just all fall to bits. Mm. There's something about it just it being an empty box. It yeah. was terrifying for me because I was like, "What's he going to do?" You know, he hasn't got his tardis. Yeah, 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 uh... yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's there, but it's useless. It's just, yeah. it's just, it's just, it's just the police box. Yeah. Did you know well, that this this is the only episode of Doctor Who to ever have a reference to the classic '90s sitcom Bottom, starring Rick Mail and Aidan? I did Lister. know that. Yes, oh, <laughs> I did know that. Hey, go on, tell us where, Sarah. Tell us what that is. <laughs> it's the Lamb and Flag Pub. That's their local, isn't it? Isn't yes. it? But they spray themselves with pheromone, the, the sex spray, and go down on the pool on quiz night. If you remember that episode, it wasn't a, an aficionado of, of that series, sadly. So I'll have to, uh, I'll have to, uh, I'll have to do some research there. Yeah, yeah, great stuff. And I do like the fact as well. We got Jackie wearing a wig in this, so that was Camille Cadori wore a wig to play the younger Jackie That's Tyler. A great I wig. Was, yeah. I was trying to work out how old she was supposed to be in this because obviously Camille Cadori, she's a very beautiful woman and very very youthful. But even so, you're thinking, was well, she meant to be around twenty, something like that? Mm -hmm. We're doing all the calculations. In my I, it, it, well, she, I, yeah. when, when, you, when she gets really close up, you can still kind of, kind of tell. But uh, yeah, yeah, that, that things like that don't don't bother me. Love Camille Kadori, fabulous stuff. She's and, brilliant. And she's brilliant. She's a great, a great sport in these episodes. I feel Stephen because she does get, she gets to do a lot of shouting. She gets told to shut mm. up. But I don't know. You can't help but love Jackie, whatever she's yeah. doing. The doctor says, <laughs> I've waited a long time to say this. Jackie Tyler, do as you're told. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she's one of, the great, one of the great assets of, of, the, of the devices was her and that performance. And by all accounts, um, a very, very lovely person. According to Nick Briggs, anyways, one of the nicest people on the show. So that's always yeah. nice to hear. And she won, she won the, the Doctor Who Celebrity Weakest Link. Yes, she did. Yeah. I remember they that. All, and and, and, oh. and Nick was saying 
Tenet was going, who do you think is going to be the first to go out? I reckon it's Camille. And they were all laying bets, and then she bloody won the thing, and they all got <laughs> Blew them away. That's, yeah. that's brilliant. I'm with Billy Piper. This is her favourite of season one. I think it, it's certainly up there for me. A yeah. watershed Doctor Who story, as we've said, with vivid characters, creative storytelling, and a, a, a great measure too, Sarah, of building out the, the Hooniverse mm -hmm. around the main character. Because the, the, if the Reapers, the nature of the Reapers, that's sort of stitched in to, if not the Time War itself, then the aftermath, it's the impact of the Time War that he's still suffering his PTSD from, he's still mopping up from. Uh, I'm not... I'm not remotely objective when it comes to this story. It affected me then. It affects me yeah. now. Uh, like you, Stephen, it affects me on a personal level. Mm -hmm. Rosie's story, her entire mindset, lines up with my own upbringing. I lost my father when I was when I was very very small. The choices that she makes in in this, the things that she speculates on, that she hungers for, the things that I felt exactly the same way uh, as she did when I was. 10, 15, 19, and, and sometimes there's still things that play on my mind now. These are still things that I sometimes have dreams about, in fact, well into adulthood. And that obviously doesn't make me particularly objective. <laughs> it was always going to chime with something for me. But I suspect that, generally speaking, this must be considered a, a classic, a modern classic now, Stephen. If I can't use the word classic, modern well, it's just a great, yeah, it's a great, it's a great piece of drama, um, and it's and it's of of that first series, and I think I'm, it's a very impressive first series. I, I did a rewatch of it at Christmas, um, and I was I was thinking I was more impressed by it going back to it now after quite some years, of of how what a staggering achievement it was of Davis and his team to bring this thing back and to make. <laughs> To make, not just to bring it back and it be moderately successful, but to, but to, but to sort of just just blow everything off the map. You know, saying mm -hmm. what you were saying it was the, it was the best thing on the television at the time, uh, and winning awards. Doctor Who never mm. won awards. Stephen, do we really not count the Swap Shop Awards as a serious TV award? I think Doctor Who made them in the late seventies. <laughs> did did Doctor Who win the Swap Shop Award? Did it? I'm pretty sure it did. Did it? Yeah. It <laughs> Maybe a scarf on TV. Yeah. I don't know. No, sorry, I take it all back. It was always an award-winning show. Quite, no quite right. And and this story probably is is a sort of emblematic story in in in, in that you can take this around. That this is this is what Doctor Who could do that it couldn't do, it wasn't doing before. Didn't seem to be interested in doing mm. before. Is there another story this season that's that that's that's quite so sort of specific? In that, in that, in that, it's 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 dealing with uh, issues that other sorts of drama deal with. That that, that, that it's 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 probably the the idea, no, the, archety one, yeah. the archetype, isn't it? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, with the setting as well. I think there are moments, yeah. obviously, which are yeah. very everyday, Sarah, that make you think mm -hmm. of characters. You know, even with aliens, where they think, oh, that that person's a bit like so and so, mm -hmm. but nothing that's quite so sort of fastened in. Not at all story. And no. yet it ties it ties in completely with the, with the arc of a favourite word these days of the whole season, isn't it? Because because it's it's the conversation between um, Rose and Jackie in the TARDIS and the parting of the ways, which propels the decision that that, that, yes. that leads Jackie to go and get the 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 pickup truck to drag yeah. mm -hmm. the 
yeah, to, drag the, to drag the TARDIS apart, which is the day which 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 prompts the denouement so, of the whole story. So it's it's always won't sewn into the narrative, isn't it? The, the longer term narrative. I hadn't I hadn't looked at it like that. So if we look at the at series one as a, a construct, I've often said that the episode, the long game, is very much the hub of series one so with that that there's so much going on in that it's very few people's favorite episodes episode but there's so much going in it connects to everything that had gone before and everything mm. afterwards in a narrative sense but could the same be said about father's day in an emotional sense i think this is the heart the heart of the series. i was, go yeah. I was going to yeah. say that this yeah. is yeah this is yeah. the heart of the series yeah. the notion of the doctor's hardness and his and his in fact cruelty that's beginning in this season which which finds manifestation actually in another paul cornell story what he does to the family mm -hmm. of blood mm -hmm. you know that that sort of retributive yeah hard line sort of um judgmental sort of it rears like, its head there yeah you're absolutely uh, right is, is is an interesting facet of the character that that uh, that was that was certainly not very prevalent in the old series as ever i remind you that we know only too well that these are these are hardly the first word on these classic or new doctor who stories and neither are they the last word either they're just the latest word on these slices from doctor who's long history on television that's been our near constant companion for for so many decades so long apart from 16 bloody years BBC. Uh, the, but these are our personal readings of them as co of course they are and our connections our takes on these stories from when we watched them then and as we revisit them now together as part of the diamond series of reviews here on type 40 for the 60th anniversary there's a lot more where that came from of course there is but uh, right now i think it's break time whether you need one or not it's ideal time for us to parade before you the other shows from across the fandom podcast network kevin's here with all of that ready to go so keep your keep your ears and eyes open we'll be back in a couple of minutes with our all important scores stay tuned to find out everybody Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. Here are the other great shows on the Fandom Podcast Network. Culture Clash, where we discuss the latest in entertainment and pop culture. Blood of Kings, our show covering the entire Highlander universe. Couch Potato Theater, we celebrate our favorite movies. And Time Warp, our fandom flashback show discussing a year in movies and our favorite retro movie, TV, and pop culture topics. Good evening, discussing all things Alfred Hitchcock. Hair Metal Podcast. We cover the rock metal music of the 80s and early 90s. Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast discussing the time-traveling Doctor Who universe. Lethal Mullet, an action film podcast covering the 80s, 90s, and beyond. Also, check out the Lethal Mullet Network for more great podcasts. What a Piece of Junk, our Star Wars podcast. Making Treks, a Star Trek podcast with a deep dive into the final frontier. The Fandom Show. Our Fandom Podcast Network live YouTube show discussing the hottest topics in fandom. The True Believers MCU Podcast discussing the Marvel Cinematic and Television Universe. Union Federation, our Star Trek and the Orville show. And we're proud to welcome the BQN Network to the Fandom Podcast Network. 
please visit our friends on the BQN Network, a Star Trek Universe podcast that also includes your favorite topics, movies, history, superheroes, and more. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on YouTube. The Fandom Podcast Network is also on all major podcast platforms. The Fandom Podcast Network audio master feed is on Podbean at fpnet.podbean.com. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom. Yes, we've teased and tantalized you there. We can even clothe you too with merch to match all of those shows, including Type 40. If you head over to tpublic.com, search for the Fandom Podcast Network, and that's where you'll find a store full of all the team colors for all of the podcasts on everything from T-shirts to phone cases and enormous tapestries. Seeing is believing. Treat yourself, treat your other selves. All goes to support the Fandom Podcast Network into the bargain. So everybody wins. I'm back here with Sarah and Stephen celebrating the 2005 classic Doctor Who story, Father's Day. We've been through it with a fine tooth comb, haven't we? Even though these last so much less, don't they, than the classic stories, the four-parters and the six-parters, there's always so much to talk about, Stephen. We didn't mention Murray Gold. We that... didn't. No, no. He's I, was, I literally me. said that. I yeah. was remembering your, your your difference of opinion with with uh, Mr. Horton about. Uh... Yes, Simon Horton, not fan. Not... So, is this a particularly strong story for for Murray? Then, do you think so? I think so. What do you think? Yeah, yeah the, the emotional beats, and he uses the same motifs like in parting of the ways which is another reason why i think i've got such a strong emotional connection because when i hear that music it's not just pete dying it's the doctor leaving uh, sending rose away um i when i'm i'm sort of watching it, I'm like, my god he's really on the borderline of this is sort of it, <laughs> almost it, too it, much it's, it's almost mm -hmm. too much but i think oh no god it works because it, it actually gets me and i there's things like cues like you know when the when it when the pitch change that mm -hmm. with, with with the strings you know when she's about yeah. to go and run out and there's other moments mm -hmm. when that's used which is terribly effective he's already used that in aliens of london hasn't it when they realize they're a year late not it's that that pitch change mm -hmm. of which which signifies broke, don't fix it no. but it brilliantly no. signifies you know th yeah. that 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 temporal yeah. cock up <laughs> um let's call it the temporal cock up because sometimes he's he's pushing towards yeah. the maudlin was a word you used to use earlier yeah. wasn't it you know um emotional debauchery yeah. you know on the soundtrack <laughs> yeah I, in this one he gets it right and i i, I like that he does it because it goes to silence when Pete actually dies, so I'm glad you know he wasn't going overboard. And he still he still uses his silence when he needs to. The motif he uses when the the key starts to glow. That the sounds TARDIS. like um, a, a Philip Glass. That's that. that's very that's very useful. The use of um, songs. Like we, we mentioned never can mm. say goodbye, but I love that that you've got. Um, Rick, Astley. Rick Astley's in there too. Yeah. Suddenly becomes the streets, I think, isn't it? Yeah, That's it's right. the streets, yeah. Don't mug yourself. 18 years on from the screening of Father's Day, mm -hmm. and obviously the distance between Father's Day being broadcast 
and the time in which it was supposed to be said. That's also 18 years. It's the equivalent of, of time. And yet, oh. the streets, who's heard of them now? Whereas Rick Astley, back on top. Never went my, away. My two boys are obsessed. So you know this Rick roll thing that is on the internet. It'll do it. It'll send me things and I click onto it and it'll turn into Rick Astley. They absolutely love it. Do it. So weird. I love the um, no third term for Thatcher posters, the, the socialist, socialist work. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they're, and they're rave posters, aren't they? The, the uh, What's yeah. it called? Yeah. The, uh, what's the name of the, 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 the posters for? Energy. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's that was around the time that S-Express was taking off, wasn't it? House music yeah. was starting mm -hmm. to come in. That kind of, that sort of dance was still pretty underground. Wouldn't become yeah. mainstream for another Until year 88, or so. 88, yeah. yeah. That's right, yeah, yeah. Murray Gold had been uh, working on Russell T. Davis stuff. I think I know he definitely worked on the Second Coming. He did. I think yeah, it was on Mine or Mine and Bob was he on Rose Queer as, well. as Folk? I'm not sure if it stretches back oh, quite yeah. that far. He's a familiar. I think that's the expression. Yeah. A familiar. We're glowing as we reminisce about this story. So this could be academic, but we have reached that point. Father's Day by Paul Cornell, starring Christopher Eccleston and Billy Piper. I want to know, Sarah, how many Betamax videotapes do you give this one <laughs> out of five? Uh, uh, well, I'm going to, yeah, I'm completely subjective here. Um, it's the full five. I was thinking of four or four and a half, but then I was like, well, mm. I can't think of anything else that could improve. I, you know, I think it's the perfect running time, it's the perfect pace. You know, performances are fantastic, the story's fantastic, the music's wonderful. So yeah, it's the it's the full five. Wow, you said that almost without flinching either. No ifing yeah. and no butting. No. <laughs> She's not gonna back down, Stephen. No, how about no. you how, how about you, Stephen? How many Betamax tapes out of five do you give Father's Day? I can't fault it. I, I watched it twice, I think, the last few days. It, everything about it works. It never puts a foot wrong. And that's not easy. No. Even, even with that budget, even with all that energy and enthusiasm behind it. You know, and I think it's um, it plays to Eccleston's strengths. She's just incandescent in it throughout Billy Pipe. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's probably her best performance. In, mm. in the whole of the series. Sean yeah. Dingle, superb. Camille Kajuri, the, you know, the, the entire cast, every, everything about it works for me. I think it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm re-impressed, delighted to be, to be re-impressed and delighted to be so enthusiastic about um, 21st century Doctor Who. Mm. To be, to find myself as enthusiastic about it in, in some ways as I am about the old stuff is a, is a, is a, is a great feeling. Looking forward to feeling like that, you know, who knows, in, in yeah. the not-too-distant future. You'd think after the best part of two decades, Stephen, that there would be some of the shine wearing off this, but it really doesn't seem to be the case, does it? Well, what was amazing about the revise is realising that in spite of the fact that it had been on from 63 to 89, it had by no means exhausted its repertoire, the its ability to, to mine generic areas that I, I, I didn't think it could do without it seeming forced or, you know, that, that this, this seemed to be just a natural place for it to go. Other fans would disagree with me. Yes. But that's why we love these conversations, isn't mm -hmm. it? That's four marks from, from Stephen Noonan, four marks from Sarah Graham. What about you, I, Dan? 
I have to say that I have to give this one after serious consideration because it is a strong season. And you do think, it well, is a strong know, season. Other episodes, they had this impact, they made me feel all these other things. They had perhaps even more striking imagery and moments that endured with the general population were real cultural touchstones. But nevertheless, I have to give this five too. I cannot give it yes. any less. For the same for the same reasons as you said, Sarah. Yeah. You know that's my rule with this. I cannot mm. think on its own terms in a single way in which this could have been incrementally better or any any aspects of the production really for their for their time i always judge mm. in context to their time not mm. how how it would be done now i don't look at i don't look at classic who like that so why would i look at new doctor who like mm -hmm. that i must have watched this dozens of times in isolation and doing those four rewatches of of the entire of the entire run and I feel that the harshness of the conflict between the two central characters really gets me. Uh, Sean Dingwall, again, it's a standout performance from him, probably the best guest turn of, of the entire of series, of series one. And there is some stiff competition mm. in this. Uh, but a lot of it is what it means to me on a personal level. I can't be objective about this. and I'm not going to apologize for it. I cannot imagine my, my Doctor Who fandom without this story. And I can't either put aside that feeling that elation that i felt at the time stephen of having absolute confidence by by this point in particular that there was nothing that this new iteration of doctor who of my favorite tv show there was nothing that it couldn't do by this point so it was two two months in two-thirds of the way into the big comeback season that was so important that gap that seven days in between episodes they couldn't go fast enough. You shouldn't wish your life away. But yeah. by this point, I was counting down the days to the very next episode of New Doctor Who. It's a five out of five for me. And I'd like to think that if anybody hasn't watched this in a while, they will be spurned on to rewatch it again. Maybe if you don't think as highly as we do of it, maybe you'll be tempted to see if there's something that you haven't seen or we may have stirred something. 8.6 million people watch this on BBC One that, that week. It's got yeah. an audience share on the night of 42.74% and an AAI figure of 83, which is just touching that all-important, excellent mm -hmm. mark there. Uh, Christopher Eccleston, of course, yeah, we were inching towards his own departure. Was it within 48 hours? of Rose screening, wasn't it, Sarah? Yeah. That it was announced that Eccleston wouldn't be staying on for uh, a second series. At the time, the BBC put out this statement that he was leaving because he didn't want to be typecast. And very, very quickly, I think within, within four or five days, the BBC were forced to retract that statement because it had been put out, it had been concocted without any consultation from the actor. Mm -hmm. They were forced to apologise. And, and that all sort of set itself, didn't it, at a very particular time in Doctor Who history where everything was obviously was so exciting. Doctor Who was born again. Then there was an element of doubt in it as well, sort of hanging over it a little, I suppose. But I think that when the show was this good and had literally the, the entire TV watching nation talking about it, it was possible to put out any fear that you had about, oh, you know, but will the next guy, will he be as good? You could put that to one side and just enjoy this on a week-to-week -week basis mm -hmm. as it built its way to, to a conclusion.
Yeah, well, yes and no, because at this point, I was that attached to Eccleston by this point. I, I was dreading, and it was a weird feeling knowing it was coming, or it was going to change, and I, I certainly wasn't ready to say goodbye. And, no. I, and I do wonder, you know, what, what would a second series have been like with Chris and Billy? He was rarely, I think, seen on British television for a little while, and there's been lots of conversation around that, allegations made by the actor, and he kept very tight-lipped on anything concerning Doctor Who for a very long period of time, well, right up until this. So why did you go? You were so good. Thank you very much. What's interesting in this country is whenever a story like this is emerges, they concentrate on the negative. I don't think it's important that I left. I think it's important that I did it in the first place. Um, I don't think it's important that I left. Okay, it may not be important, but to fans, it was a bit of a shock because uh, you could have stayed there for four, five, six. You could still be there yeah, now. Yeah. So that, that, that was a big decision not but to I, do any more after the first series. I'm still there. I was in David Tennant. I was in Matt Smith. That's, <laughs> are we going to edit this? Yeah. I was in Peter Capaldi. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows this about the Time Lords. <laughs> um, I'm always there in spirit. Okay, but, but, but talk me through the decision to leave. Was it, was it because you didn't work within that structure of a rigorous show running show myself and three individuals at the very top of the pyramid clashed so off i went okay but they're not here to say their side of it so i'm not going to go into detail that's right i'm going to be calling them later good excellent difficult to believe that the whole debacle of christopher eccleston leaving the show so early didn't kill new doctor who stone did mm. perhaps it would have without russell t davis russell himself has said next to nothing on this entire matter in the entire 20 years and Chris only began talking in recent years there that was on the Today programme back in 2015 and he, he has elaborated since not to any great extent and he certainly never he never attempts to speak for others he's always very appropriate very respectful very professional and I think quite generous too that's certainly how it comes across to me I also think that there's a certain amount of pride in that clip there from the Today programme where he, he says that I'm always there in in spirit I, I don't know if I'd describe it as a longing Sarah but it's certainly tinged with there's something melancholy about him, him speaking there isn't there and in his voice he, he means that yeah it, it is genuine he's right it's wonderful that he did it you know we wouldn't all be here talking about it if it wasn't the show wouldn't have come mm. back i think we take him for granted sometimes you know we always talk about david tennant being like the golden era of doctor Who. david wouldn't have had that opportunity if it hadn't been for uh, chris's performance and uh russell's writing as well it's testament to what everybody's work that that announcement didn't kill the show um because you'd think you know why, why would people invest in another 12 weeks of this if the lead's going but we all did and we all fell in love with him. Yeah. So well, my, my first day um, recording at Big Finish, I went into Costa Coffee, which is just around the corner from the Sound House. In, in All the coffee houses are available, everybody. They are. And there was a big building site, and there's a, a lot of building going on. And there were builders coming in and out mm -hmm. of this Costa Coffee. And I was sort of, you know, not entirely beyond being a bit nervous about it as far as my my first day so there's builders coming in and out and i'm i'm and I was, I'm, I'm walking towards the door to go 
to go to work mm. and the door is this, this particularly intimidating enormous looking builder coming in through the door and as i get closer and and we're about to passage that i look at and realize it's it's actually christopher eccleston wow. with his enormous head and his enormous nose and his enormous <laughs> ears coming through the door you know and yeah. uh, and there he is because i i don't sort of let on that we're probably going to go to the same place and then then a little bit late in the morning i was in a corridor waiting to go into the studio I can hear this unmistakable. So who's the bloke playing the, the first Doctor then? Who is he? And they said, oh, it's Steve. And he said, right, can I meet him? Where is he? And I was going, oh, shit. And then I was, and thankfully, when I was introduced to him, because I'd never met him before, mm. he was sitting down. I was very grateful that he was sitting down because he's mm. an incredibly intimidating looking person mm. when he's standing. Because he really has got, have you met him, either of you? I mean, he's, no. he's no, remarkably. No. He's got a huge head and, and the enormous features. And he was so nice and so, you know, welcoming. He just happened to be doing another, uh, you know, recording that day. But it, I think it is, I think he's uh, clearly a lot more comfortable with it. And he, and he does this stuff now. He does a lot of it, I think. And he seemed very relaxed there that, that day and very pleased to be to be involved again. He definitely, well, he brought the doctor back. He brought him back with swagger. <laughs> And and a fragility, I think that nobody yeah. else has ever really strove to to portray. There's a brand of heroism that I, as I said, I don't think that family audiences had ever really seen that before. This really complex and damaged soul, who uh, nonetheless, despite what he'd been through, never misused his uh, power, for want of a better word. <laughs> He was hunting for answers and trying to fill fill the literal the literal gaps wasn't he in, in his own mind in his own being and and those that the the broader universe needed to be filled for for balance to be to be retained and for the the impact of the time war to be dialed back i suppose he viewed it as his responsibility didn't it i, I think that christopher eccleston captured that communicated that brilliantly he let rose in and he let us all in and he left a, a mark on this show he meaning that it was almost impossible to follow it it seemed at the time i i think any actor would have struggled to follow that i knew so many people who were cut up about the fact that he wasn't going to be there but obviously it was irresistible to carry on watching when a series has been has been laid out so so confidently eventually christopher eccleston as i say he did talk about it a lot lot more went on the convention circuit didn't he so in fact i think he does a lot of conventions now and it was there at a convention i think it was at gallifrey one that mm -hmm. he got talking to jason hay gallery and nicholas briggs from big finish and that resulted in this audio rebirth and we now several box sets into the new ninth doctor adventures which i remember when that story broke sarah you and i we could barely believe it could we in fact i think we we did an emergency podcast we, did, we did. <laughs> yeah they got pre-ordered that day <laughs> obviously in the time in between him playing the doctor on television and coming back to it on audio christopher eccleston went through some serious personal problems which he's spoken about publicly and he's written a book 
about them too, hasn't he, Sarah? I love the bones of you. It's mostly a, a memoir, isn't it? It's rather than an autobiography, it's the story of, of his personal journey, sort of in line with his father, who, who was suffering with, uh, with dementia. Dementia, wasn't he? Was it Alzheimer's disease? I've, no, I've not read the book, although I have got it. Have, have you no. read this yet? Yeah, I think I got it. I got it at Christmas the year it, it was released um yeah they definitely um as you can imagine that is some heavy reading mm. um but yeah it's it, it is fascinating and you know there's a couple of chapters dedicated to doctor who i always rediscovered it with his own children he actually he sat and watched his series with his kids and it you know the delight of watching them. And again, I, and I wonder, you know, if, was this the case all along? Was like he wanted something like mm. his kids could watch? Because you know, a lot of his stuff it, it isn't really uh, accessible uh, for young kids. And I, I do think that did have a profound effect on him coming back to the character, as well as the money. He's been very frank about that, hasn't he? And some fans, some fans are a little down on him for being so honest that you know he mm -hmm. went through uh, alleged bankruptcy, he had a lot of personal problems, went through a divorce, mm -hmm. and he needed to pay the bills as we all do. And you know, obviously, there's this captive audience who wanted to to ideally see, but hear more mm -hmm. of him as the doctor. So you can completely see why. I think it was very brave of him to to publish that book. I would imagine. I know it, it would have paid, but even so, public therapy, Stephen. I, I do. I, I think it's. I do think it's brave, and he does seem to have come out of the other side, as if not a changed man than somebody who who is not just got a, a healthy and holistic view of his time on on Doctor Who, but but just seems well, and that's what we wish for our if not our heroes, then people we admire, isn't it? Who, people from the screen who we feel like we know, who've brought us pleasure. We, we want them to be well. We want them to, to be happy. And whether they're, whether they're acting or, or not, it's horrible to think of somebody as suffering and going through all that, isn't it? Being in the public eye um, in the way that somebody like he has been and then to, for it to be known that there's something strange happened and 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 that to be you know uh, what whatever it was is mysterious and and, and led to him mm. not having the same sort of career he had before it must be very that's a particular sort of trauma knowing that other people know and care so strongly yeah. about 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 what's going on with you and the way fans are as well i think get a sense with with him that he has a a tremendous feels a tremendous responsibility to doctor who fans that's certainly become an element with i it. think he understands but, us but, now i'm not sure he did yeah. before and I, I don't think it and i don't with, think it was any there was any any wall of resistance built up but he was a busy man he's got young children as well so he wouldn't necessarily need to he went from one job a, to another to another i know it's it's a fascinating thing with eccleston of course isn't it because because with with you know there's this generation the new the revised series doctors are the, it's the first time in the history of the program. I suppose no Peter Davison had been watched this when Trousen was on it. I'm, I'm talking mm. rub, rubbish, but but they're, they're all young enough to to have been around when it was on when they were kids. Now, mm. you know. But Eccleston was somebody's on the record was 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 unashamed of the fact that he said, "Well, no, I was playing out when it was on. I had no interest in it. Didn't think mm. it was for me, because it was about these people with with posh Southeast England accents, mm. you know." But I think he does now respect and understand fandom and, uh, and, and feels a sense of responsibility to it. 
and uh, and se- seems to be certainly my experience of, of meeting in that day it seems seems to be in a very very sort of healthy state of mind indeed you know and uh, and enjoying being involved in it in the capacity that he is now yeah he's, he uses social media uh, carefully i think but he uses it well and responsibly sarah there are images on on his instagram account he shares quite a lot on instagram mm-hmm. as much as he can about his various exploits getting back to nature and reconnecting with old friends he talks about salford a lot but then again it's christopher eccleston of course he does yes. have, yeah. have you been to his instagram account and seen all these fabulous pictures uh, no i'm not on instagram but you know whenever you post them on you know on the facebook page and everything yeah i do uh, i do enjoy look seeing him when I think of, of Christopher Eccleston, I still think back to Cracker, how I felt for his character so, so strongly, and that really stayed with me. So the actor can make me feel so emotional back in 1992 or three, whenever that was. And again, when he departed the role of the Doctor in 2005, it managed to get me again the swine, got me all cut up, <laughs> all in my feelings. So, so there's, there's that. Here he is. You know, that was playing my childhood hero, so the Doctor, my childhood hero. But in many respects, not just Chris Eccleston, but pretty much people like him, uh, and seeing them come out of the other side of their experiences, and to be so brave in talking about them, I think there's a heroism to that too. There's something I can look to as an adult as a way of getting back to a healthy place because we all have our dark days and moments don't we and, and knowing that the, the doctor that happened to him as well i think a great many people i, I would hope have been touched by that and, and perhaps sought help or, or not felt quite so alone or not if quite felt so useless or whatever it is i just think the more people talk about mental health and get it out there from from any walk of life any profession and in the public eye then obviously the easier it will be for for everyone. That's so I, I'm very grateful to to Christopher Eccleston for for publishing that book and for talking so honestly as he has been lately. And of course, it's great to have him back in the bosom of Doctor Who, making those audio dramas and at conventions. And I do hope that one day I do get to meet him, Stephen, and to marvel <laughs> at the ears and the nose yeah. and get a blast of that of that accent. That's the ninth Doctor, everybody, in our Diamond series of reviews. They continue, of course, we're making our way through the incarnations of the Doctor here on Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast. Back to the classic series, I think, next. Uh, either of you very good at cricket? Do you bowl underarm or overarm? What do you think? <laughs> you, uh, you can what do you think, tell me. Uh, Dan, <laughs> about my cricketing skills? Uh, no. <laughs> absolutely useless some people are godless I'm sportless stay tuned for all of that but that is the old girl starting up and calling time on this edition of the show I'll be back with another one soon enough look out for it wherever you found this it could have been at the dedicated home fee for type 40 over at type 40.podbean.com maybe we rolled up on the podcatcher of your choice spotify stitcher amazon music apple music tune in google play Podbay, all those places and then there's the podbean app itself it's so easy to use even i can use it 
We're on, on YouTube, of course, we are the world's largest streaming platform. There's dedicated video editions of every single podcast now, along with our, our sister show, Type 40 Live, or weekly magazine format, Doctor Who live stream, completely raw, completely live, where anything can happen, anything can be said, and often is. You can get all of that at the, at the Type 40 channel here on, on YouTube. And we're still on the fabulous Fandom Podcast Network's own master feed. Of course, we are loaded up with all those treats for your ears. Never mind weekly. It's all coming to you on the daily. If you step sideways in time for more quality shows from the FPN, have your say on all of this and reach out to us through our social media, Instagram and Twitter, at Type40DoctorWho, or you can email us, Type40DoctorWho, at gmail.com. So remind us, Sarah, where can people connect with you on social media at present? Or at past. Uh, well, uh, social media, uh, yeah, you can uh, find me on Twitter at Starry Eyed Who. I'm also on Facebook. That's my name, Sarah Graham, and you will be seeing me on Type 40 Live. Good to have you back, as always, Sarah. Uh, and Stephen, people can hear you, can't they? They can hear your, your thrilling adventures in time and space, or space and time as the first doctor, bigfinish.com. <laughs> get all those box sets, get them into your life, get them into your ears. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter as the Spacebook wheezing and groaning, ranting and raving about all things geeky inside and outside of the TARDIS. Lots of Doctor Who and the odd bit of real life too, when I absolutely have to. Can I just, can I just say, yes. don't touch the baby. Don't touch the baby. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. I can't top that. Thanks for listening. God bless. Yeah. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs> we always have the time. If you have the space here at Type 40, take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>